2022. It is 6.01. We're going to get started. Hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving. So the first item on our agenda is, oh, actually, 22. yes, we do. Could I, could I get a motion to begin the meeting? So Second. All in favor? Aye. It's an aye for me, four zero. For once in a long, long while, we haven't been returning from executive session this evening. Right. We came right to the meeting, so get that out of the way. And now to our superintendent's report, item B on the agenda. Thank you so much, and welcome back, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Uh, it's always a nice time of year, and it has a major shift with regard to the school year. It's a really big run from August, September, all the way through uh, Thanksgiving. So we're into our winter season and oftentimes our second terms. Uh, so lots of great things that are happening, uh, and I want to open up for highlights with a, a shout-out for Romeo and Juliet um, with a special... Uh, Acknowledgement of Miss Emma Cummings, who was uh, part of the crew there, and she might offer a little bit more insight to this. I kind of prepped her for this report. But just a, a wonderful kickoff for uh, a, a number of productions that we'll have throughout the year. Performing arts and the theater are so important and so well done here in Canton. Uh, and Romeo and Juliet, under the direction of Director Katie Brooks and all the students, staff, and families, congratulations. It was uh, a wonderful play. Uh, had a little modern spin on it and great costumes set and um, great student involvement. We thank the volunteers for the parents that helped out uh, with all of it and the staff that were involved. Uh, so we take great pride in having professional uh, productions happen and that legacy continued with Romeo and Juliet. Um, I want to give a, the next nod to the Hanson Elementary, uh, which traditionally has done their play in April. They're doing it in December this year, and they're doing Beauty and the Beast Jr. Um, you'll see there's a link on there uh, to purchase tickets online. So that's part of some of the shifts that we're making with regard to the musical um, elementary plays, is that we're assisting them with some of the operational work uh, and, and the, uh, the help in making that happen to sort of replicate what happens at our secondary level. Those tickets are available, much like you you can buy them for uh, CHS and GMS plays. You can pick your seat. So it helps everything. We're trying to modernize all of uh, everything that we do. So I hope it's a wonderful um, experience for everyone in the Hanson community. And obviously, everyone is welcome. We hope everyone can go as well. Um, Ms. Cummings, I'll come back to you in just a moment for your reflections on Romeo and Juliet, because we want to see your excitement. Uh, second highlight was right before we went to Thanksgiving break, we had a chance, much like we did for GMS, to meet with students uh, in a forum setting. So some, some uh, school committee members were able to join myself and Principal Sperling to hear students talk about their experience at CHS, uh, whether it was learning, their overall experience, uh, what they would like to see, improvements, strengths. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation, and it always tells you uh, so much about uh, First of all, the experience of our students, but just how insightful they are and know um, what they would like to see, what they enjoy, what they appreciate. Uh, so again, we thank everyone for sharing in such a candid way their, their voice in that experience. Thank you for Mr. Sperling for setting that up. And I think uh, at next school committee meeting, we're going to talk about some of the things that rose to the top, both at GMS and CHS. So, and then, right on the front page of today's paper, um, captured the, the big Thanksgiving Day win. Uh, so that was a, a great 28-14 win over the Stoughton Black Knights. 
Uh, Thanksgiving is a, a tradition, I don't know if it's just solely Massachusetts, but I know when you talk to folks from other states, they are always wondering, you're playing football on Thanksgiving? Yes, and it, it's, it dates back 100 years, 96 years for this particular tradition. I'll tell you, it is wonderful, wonderful weather. It was packed, thousands of people came from both sides. It was a great competitive game. It's always nice to come out on top. Thought they played incredibly well. Uh, really proud of the team. But from when you walk in, there's a community perspective where you get to see a lot of alums. I know personally, I saw a ton of my former students, and it was really nice to just see how they were doing all along the line. Um, and it was also a really nice moment. I took a picture. Uh, we have our new bleachers and some of the new fencing and um, upgrades in that facility. For it to be all set and used and to see them full, to see the, the press box full and, and utilized, um, the cameras, everything that was there. There was a long run to get to that point. It made that Thanksgiving game pretty nice to kind of take it all in and see that there. Uh, tonight you're going to hear a little bit more uh, for indicators of excellence of our GMS math buddies. So I don't want to go too far and, and spoil the presentation, uh, but I know that's going to be mentioned in the math updates. But I just want to acknowledge it uh, for something that I've seen from afar. I can't wait to see them in person. But it was launched at the GMS Middle School around student agency, um, having some of the, the students in the, the upper grades work with students in the uh, sixth grade, developing math skills. It just builds a wonderful uh, collegial role model uh, element that's there, an academic culture. So can't wait to hear about how it's going. And uh, I heard it was a wonderful kickoff. So our GMS math buddies. In that same vein of having some older students model um, strong academic work and, and really inspire uh, younger uh, fellow students in the building, uh, this is getting to be a tradition where we have uh, fifth grade author visits. And that's from Ms. Wade and Ms. Fabiano's classes where they were introducing younger kids, um, their fellow students in nonfiction text. And just that moment, uh, had a chance to, to get over there and talk to some staff and they there was some newer staff that had really never seen it before, but they just said it's so powerful when you get to see a fifth grader walk into a younger classroom um, and read and share. Uh, and there's, there's role modeling in all different ways in the realm of academics and learning. Um, it's a wonderful sight and really powerful. And I'll tell you, talking to the fifth graders after the fact, they are really proud to do it and they love to talk about sort of their experiences uh, in doing it. Another indicator of excellence of senior districts which is again in the performing arts realm. Uh, so we had a number of folks audition and go out. Uh, and we have a number that will participate in the Senior District Festival, which is always an honor on January 6th and 7th. That's Liana Camille, Leah Condon, Atlas Curran Barker, Sonia Lee, Derek Marr, Alexandra uh, Salazar, Abigail Silvasi, Laura Walsh, and Anthony Wang. So all of those folks, congratulations. And then we all additional had uh, a number of folks who scored so high, they have a chance to audition for all states. And that's Liana Camille, Derek Marr, and Abigail Savasi. So congratulations to all of them, to all the staff involved, Ms. Eckersley, who's our coordinator and really uh, does all of these visits. We also have the junior districts that are coming up, I believe this weekend as well, so we wish everyone the best there. And then they also do a number of outreach and performing arts and the band visited the Cornerstone uh, here in Canton. So again, spreading some joy, singing, uh, just visiting folks in our community. It's a big deal and it's a great connection. So she always does a great job of sharing some pi uh, pictures as well. A Couple of updates here to wrap up. 
our Director of Student Services search. Uh, we've gone through our interview process and our interview committee. We had many stakeholders on the interview committee. Uh, and we are poised to announce a finalist for our finalist day for tomorrow, Friday, December 2nd. So that's coming. We also had our COVID home test distribution. So there was an outreach by DESE to offer up free home tests knowing that Thanksgiving's happening. Uh, you're going to see relatives that might be medically compromised coming back to school. Um, we have the December break coming up. So they really wanted to get those out and we could put in for them. So uh, Ms. Lauren Pouchard, who guided us through so much of COVID and the nursing team, uh, jumped at the chance to uh, put this out there. And we had about 900 students uh, take them and about 250 staff. And they were distributed on the 22nd. I will make a point that if anyone did not get theirs and they had signed up and scheduled for it, you certainly can just reach out to your principal or Ms. Pouchard directly and we can make that arrangements. We have plenty uh, from what DESE provided us. And then Title I night on uh, Tuesday, November 29th, just earlier this week, we had our Title I information night and that was coordinated uh, by our staff and Ms. Rooney uh, and Ms. Abrams uh, and Ms. Coyle as well as our Title I coordinator. So we had the interview process going on at the same time. Um, I, I looked in and peeked in a few, and they had a full room of, of parents, and uh, I applaud them and, and thank them for engaging the community around those Title I services and resources so well. And thank you for the parents that took the time to come to that night. And then events that are coming up December 9th, we have an early release, pre-K to 12 for PD. Uh, th then December 9th and 10th, as noted, we have the Hanson uh, play, and the, again, the link there is for the tickets, Beauty and the Beast Jr. December 15th, we have school committee. Then we uh, move into the winter concert season. December 16th is the CHS winter concert. GMS has its winter concert in January. Uh, maybe traditionally in December, it's in January. I was looking for it. We have the One Act plays December 20th. We have the World Language uh, Honor Society in celebration on December 22nd. And then we have an early release on the 23rd. Then we have that winter break. And just a reminder for everyone, January 2nd is no school that's an observance of the New Year's Day. That is my report. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a lot happening, a lot to be thankful for. Uh, are there comments or questions from the school committee? Discussion? I'll add on. And let me say thank you for your leadership during the recent um, CHS student forum. Oh, of get to course. That. Yeah, yeah that you. was a really great opportunity for students. I feel like it's not always easy for students to necessarily come to adults and be completely honest. And I feel like students really felt comfortable and knew what they wanted to change and knew what they loved. And it was great to hear from them. Um, on Romeo and Juliet, thank you to everyone who came. Um, it was such a pleasure working with the cast and crew of this amazing team. We couldn't do it without our incredible costume moms and our director and everyone who was involved. So thank you. Can I just one Yes. Yeah, so I, I actually, I just want to say um, in terms of students feel comfortable, I really, you moderated that discussion that day and I think you really made people feel comfortable speaking yeah. up. So, so I think that's really a credit to you. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And I know that uh, both Ms. Cummings and Ms. O'Halloran have to head out a little early, possibly today. So, if there is anything you, and anything else you'd like to share, just make sure you flag me as we go. Thanks. 
Okay, moving on to the next item on our agenda. That is item C, teaching and learning. Uh, we have Ms. Rooney uh, here with us to review the benchmark assessments for our STAR assessments for K through five and the GMS CHS benchmarks for ELA and math. Welcome. Good evening. Um, so you have an update and hopefully you have a copy of that. Uh, what we wanted to give you tonight was just a quick snapshot of how things are going. Um, we're changing our language a little bit at the elementary level. Um, the STAR uh, tool that we've been using is what we're calling now our universal screener. Um, which is a little different from a benchmark assessment and you're going to hear a little bit later in the math update about a new benchmark assessment that came with our new math program so we're trying to make sure we are consistent with our language um, but as you know the star screener is designed really to help us um, put a safety net in place to catch those students that might be falling behind and need a little bit more support um, so as you can see from the charts that are there um, this is an area where having mr fogel on board has been a huge help for us He's able to take, when I look at the STAR data in their platform, I look at each grade level and each school separately. Um, and Mr. Fogel has been able to pull it all together. He, he likes to joke about putting all the numbers into his blender and see what he comes up with. Um, but as you can see, he is able to take all of the data that we gathered for each of the schools across grades and kind of consolidate it for us in a way that we, I find really helpful as a quick snapshot. Um, so what you see there is the national comparison for the early literacy reading and math scores. And when we, when we flip the switch to translate that to like, let's predict how those kids might do on their MCAS if they were gonna take their MCAS, um, the charts on the right-hand column give you that, um, what, our, what the guess would be from STAR of how kids would perform if they had taken their MCAS. Um, so we're able to use that data really for a variety of different purposes. Number one, the reading specialists and math specialists use the data in collaboration with classroom teachers to identify the students that will get the tutoring support that happens either in the reading room or with the math specialist. Um, and also teachers are able to use the data to dive down a little bit deeper and see kind of for each, each child or each small group of children what focus skills do they need to be working on to help them improve their performance. And so that kind of data analysis continues to happen um, throughout the year. Um, so that is the STAR screener. And then at GMS and CHS, we are using two different tools. For English language arts, we're using the Common Lit Assessment. Um, Mr. Fogel has also provided us a, their, their platform is a little clunky. It's not as user-friendly as I would like it to be, so he, he made us one that would be way more user-friendly, uh, which is really helpful. Teachers have access to this tool, um, as well as department heads and principals. So what you see there is just an example of what it looks like. So every teacher is able to pull their class up and they're able to see um, for individual students how did they do, but then also in relation to standards, that the standards that we assessed, how did students do. In some cases they might be standards that we haven't even taught yet, and in other cases they're standards that we know we taught and we wanna see how kids are doing. And they're really able to use that information to drive future instruction. So if we see the pattern here, that analyzing and evaluating the effectiveness of structure and author uses in his or her exposition or argument is an area where kids really need a little bit more work. So as teachers are trying to decide what tools they're gonna to use in classroom, this information is really helpful for them to drive instruction. Um, so that's an example of, I think, a second, seventh grade class and some of the data that we're able to get. Really closely standards aligned, which we think will be really helpful. Um, it helps us look from common lit across to state standards, across to how did our kids do in MCAS, and we can see patterns and really design instruction that's gonna help address student learning needs. Um, and then on the last page, you have a snapshot of the IXL for grades six through 10. Um, we are using that screener mostly in grades six through 10. Um, 
as you can see, we have work to do in math. I will say, that kind of a proud moment for us, when we looked at the data, particularly for GMS, um, the number of kids who scored in the um, above grade or on grade level uh, for grades six, seven, and eight, in some cases more than doubled from last year. So it's possible that that's because the kids got more familiar with the tool and they took it a little bit more seriously because they know that we're gonna send the report home and their parents are gonna see it, or it could be that we've been practicing our math more and our students are improving in their math skills. Either way, we'll take it. Um, but we definitely have seen some improvement and you're gonna hear a little bit more tonight uh, during the math presentation about how the teachers are using the data that they gather from this assessment uh, in class on a daily basis to help drive their instruction as well. Okay. Terrific. Well, I can see. Thank you for that report, Ms. Rooney. I think that um, this is a really succinct and helpful snapshot, and I, I, I think the idea of turning it to a screener, you know, that type of language versus benchmark makes a heck of a lot of sense because it's, I think, telling us what we're getting in sort of top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. um, glad to know that you're partnering in so many different ways to help our teachers understand and then uh, be able to work with the data and in different ways make it easy because that's hard of it's hard enough to be teaching <laughs> forget about trying to um, customize uh, what you teach and then to whom so this this is fantastic if you ask me um, that said the numbers are are always a concern and I know there's a challenge teaching across all the different um, areas of need and from what I understand We'll hear more about that in the math presentation related to math. So I'll, I'll hold my questions till then and ask if the school committee has any questions or discussion about this. I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, I know we've taken, like, I'm in 10th grade, so I use IXL a lot. Um, how many times a year are we going to be doing these screeners? Because I was asking my teachers, and they don't, like, we weren't sure if it's going to be three or four times a year. So we're, we're scheduled to do it three. Okay. You can certainly do it more often if you if you want to. <laughs> um, okay. But the next screening window will come uh, right after the vacation. Okay. So in January, right when we get back from break, there'll okay. be another screening window. Thank you. I have questions related to math, but I, I'll follow your lead and wait for the next presentation. Probably better. Yeah. I just have a, I'm just trying to understand something a little bit better. So, and this actually, the first question may be for Mr. Vogel instead. So, on the first one between the STAR and the MCAS data, um, so it looks like the STAR is being used to predict MCAS results this year, uh, potentially? So, we've always been able to use the STAR screener. Too. Okay. So, if you look back at previous presentations, sure. you, you probably remember I talked about, like, if we use the, mm -hmm. the nationally normed data, yeah. that's the data that we're using. Um, oftentimes when we're trying to decide if we're going to pull kids for tutoring and whatnot. But for third, fourth, and fifth grade especially, mm -hmm. it's really helpful to be able to, to toggle that to the state benchmark sure. and know mm -hmm. that the data is specific to students in Massachusetts. Okay. And based on their research studies that they've done, they're kind of predicting how they think a child will do okay. um, on their MCAS. And actually, the, maybe Mr. Fogel, the, and do you take the start data and, and go back to how the kids scored last year? I've done that, yes. Okay, so I'm just curious. So, so that's part of this as well. So it's not just predictive, it's also perhaps retrospective? It, it is retrospective. Um, we took the May benchmark mm -hmm. last year and compared it to the May performance in, mm -hmm. in MCAS and yeah. measured the correlation okay. there. Okay. Um, and it was very consistent with what their formula and their studies had mm -hmm. produced and predicted as well. Mm -hmm. This particular graph here is mm -hmm. predicting May of 2023's performance. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it will continue to be refined each time the screeners are implemented. Right. And the other question I have is on the second page that the bottom graph, 
Um, the zero is red, 0 0.5 is yellow, and green is one. What is the key there? So what does it, they got one question right, or, or yeah. how, how, what does that mean? So um, the zero means that the student did not get that question right. Yellow is if that question had a half of a point offering. Okay. They earned a half a point, or they got a full point for getting it right. Okay. And then I think the same thing, um, the math questions, I think will be covered on that third page. You'll be discussing that during the math presentation. Okay, great. Thank but you. before we lose you, let yeah. me just ask that, clarify, since you came down, sure. uh, Mr. Fogel, I wanna, this, this graph here, um, can you explain just a little bit in terms of what the inputs are? In, are what are we looking at? Because we'll see, it, it looks like yeah, maybe you could just help us interpret what we're seeing in terms of uh, who took this assessment or what this, you know, what student population this assessment is showing us. Yep. So this is a chart, a screenshot of data directly from IXL. So this has not been put into Josh's blender. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is their, okay. this is their tool. So what you see at the top is the circle that shows you of all the students that took IXL this fall. Um, 64 students or 4% of the kids were in the above grade level, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem we have is that that gray piece there are students that didn't take the assessment because we have licenses for lots of kids, right? All the way up to through 12th grade, but we're not really using the, the benchmark assessment piece in 11th and 12th grade, so that's okay. why that gray box is really it's big. Strange. Because yes. it's, it's, it, it thinks we should have assessed all these extra kids, and we're saying, yeah, in 11th and 12th, the tool's not as helpful, so we haven't been using it. Um, but then you see for each grade level as well, for the kids in that grade that took the assessment, how did they score? So each row is, is, a, is a different grade at each school, and this is from the fall data that they took back in the September. Yes. Very early in the school year this year. I see. And so, and so, the, just a follow up. Could can you make some assumptions about the gray boxes that those are students who may be not needing to use IXL, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's why the result would look skewed um, in some cases, or um, students in some of our substantially separate special education classes for whom that tool would really would not be as applicable, but yet they're in our student database, so mm -hmm. the tool thinks that they're taking it, so they think they haven't taken it yet. Gotcha. So there's a bunch of different reasons why they might show up as gray. But for example, at the high school, if you're on the accelerated pathway at the high school and you're on track to take calculus, and I'm like, we don't need you to take this screener because you're, you're doing great. Okay, gotcha. All right, awesome. Can I ask just Good one follow. clarifying question? So the last um, 11th, 12th grade that shows red, the bar is red, mm -hmm. are those students that actually took the test? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. And um, then we can ask the follow-up questions when we have the math yes. session. But I just wanted to make sure that there are some students that are taking it in 11 yes. and 12. That I, would, I would suggest likely students who haven't yet passed their MCAS. Okay. And so we're continuing to monitor their progress because they still have to keep taking their MCAS to see if they can pass. Okay. Um, they may be students that are in some of our special education classes for whom this tool is really still helpful. So I think that's probably why you see that what you see there. Okay. Thank you. All right. Terrific. Thank you both. Thank you. All right. Moving on to the next item on our agenda. That is D1, the Q1 financial report. Mr. Marshall have that report to present to us for potential voter approval. Thank you. Just give me one second. All right. Um, so yes, uh, very happy to 
present this uh, quarter one report. So this is uh, our financial report through September 30th. So it really just captures our first month of um, school from um, a spending uh, standpoint. Um, our FY23 uh, operating budget uh, was voted at uh, $50.6 million. Um, we have to add in our carryover encumbrances of about $4.7 million. A majority of those carryover encumbrances are payroll encumbrances for our um, teaching staff that elects to get paid over 26 pay periods. Um, so that money is, um, is really uh, FY22 money that gets carried into FY23 to be paid. Um, so that's why you see those um, encumbrances carry forward. Um, through uh, September 30th, uh, we had expended $9.7 million and we have an additional $44.1 million that have been encumbered. Uh, so that it leaves uh, um, about $1.5 million in uncommitted funds through uh, September 30th. Um, salaries make up about 82% of our operating budget. Um, and when you combine salaries out of district tuitions, transportation, and utilities, um, that totals 95% of our budget um, just in those few categories. I've provided uh, two charts um, to show spending through this time. Um, so you'll see these are the main um, spending categories that we really track. Um, out of district tuition, uh, there's a, a small amount of other uh, professional development, salaries, uh, services, supplies, transportation, and utilities. Um, so you'll see that's the original appropriation. The revised budget is just the encumbrances that carried forward. Um, so that's the only revision that happens, but that's why you see that. Um, you have your year-to-date actual spending and any of the encumbrances, and that last column is uh, available budget. So you see in a couple of areas, um, you see negative amounts uh, already through September. Um, both of those are special education related, um, out of district tuition and special education transportation. Later in the year, we will transfer um, funds out of those lines, expenses out of those lines into a circuit breaker account um, that we will receive revenue throughout the year. The special ed reserve account, which is on the town side, um, we will do a transfer at the end of the year. And then about $825,000, it's actually $915,000, will go to um, the uh, IDEA 240 uh, special education grant. So there'll be tuitions that will be transferred. So that's why you see those negatives. All of those initially hit the operating budget. And then um, as when we get into the spring, we'll start doing transfers um, to those other uh, funding mechanisms. The second chart um, is a snapshot by location. Uh, I hope that this will continue to improve over the coming years, um, but I, I don't know if uh, we've ever really provided much detail by location. Um, and so you'll see a majority of our spending in our financial system is coded as a district-wide expense, and then some um, uh, expenses are coded to individual schools. So when I say improve, uh, what we would like to do is really allocate these funds across each of the buildings so that district-wide number should shrink and the spending that you see across each of the schools um, would expand. And we would do that even potentially with administrative expenses, right? Um, superintendent salary to be spread across, um, you know, enrollment-based like per pupil um, to each of the locations. And then you can really see full spending by each of, of the schools, which is a helpful tool. So 
I do do that, um, but I don't have it in a form that's like that I can easily provide um, at this point. But we're working with the town right now to improve our chart of accounts. Um, the town's doing the same thing, and through that, we'll have um, new budget codes that will be able to easily uh, separate these expenditures by a variety of different um, ways, location being one of them. Um, just projections on total spending. So we talked about a, a $50 million operating budget. Um, on top of that, circuit breaker and revolving accounts um, will provide about $2.5 million in additional uh, revenue. Special education reserve account, I am projecting that we will use $600,000 of that at the end of the year. And then we're projected to receive $1.7 million in grants um, to the district uh, this year. So total uh, projected spending, um, $60 million, just over $60 million for the year. Uh, special education update, um, as I said, uh, tuition, transportation together are projected to be 8.3 million. Um, we expect that to increase to over 9 million in FY24. Uh, there is a lot of conversation happening and a lot of um, uh, even uh, some legislators that are uh, heavily involved in uh, the potential for a 14% increase for private um, tuitions, so uh, out of district tuitions to private schools. Um, which you know we could that could happen a 14 percent increase uh we're now starting to see uh collaborative tuitions follow suit um in uh you know same 10 to 14 percent potential increases we're seeing 20 to 30 percent increases in special education van transportation um, so we are expecting um, there to be a large increase um, in out of district tuition and uh, special education transportation going into next year i do believe that we are we are in an okay place. We're in a much better place, I think, than others um, because of the fact that we're able to carry circuit breaker. So you receive circuit breaker funds for reimbursements from the prior year. So you get them a year after, and then you're able to carry up to one year's worth of that revenue an additional year. Um, so typically, we've been carrying 1.5 to $2 million of circuit breaker forward. Um, so that gives us a little bit of a cushion into a future year. And then we have just over a million dollars in our special ed reserve account um, that the town holds. So I previously said I believe we'll use about 600,000 of that. That, re that leaves us with 600,000. Um, but we'll probably do a $500,000 town meeting request um, to, to bump that back up um, to really make sure that we're uh, protected if all of these uh, increases uh, do happen. Just the 14% increase on private tuitions, we are estimating to be just under $750,000. Um, so it, it, can, it can hit you very quick if, if we're not prepared for it. So something we're tracking very closely. I'll speak to that for just a moment. Um, it is a major point of discussion in uh, superintendent groups. Um, as part of our recent round table, Mary Bork, who you've met, is uh, my coach. Uh, she's the lead uh, in connection with the legislators and financials around this. Uh, and her and uh, Tom Scott, who's the president of MASS, uh, the superintendents, Massachusetts superintendents group, uh, both of them outlined uh, sort of the dire need to address this and uh, they essentially laid out their advocacy plans uh, to bring it to the attention they know. So what they did was they collected what impact it would have on all area districts um, as much as possible so they could bring that to the legislatures. 
um, and so they could problem solve. As uh, Ms. Bork mentioned, uh, it was something that they're looking for some short-term uh, addressing, like in the immediate, excuse me, in the immediate, um, and then short-term, and then sort of long-term forecasting out with regard to this. So um, I'm going to be reporting out a little bit more uh, regarding how that advocacy goes and how legislators can work. But uh, just on behalf of the board, you know, we, we have some letters that we can send legislators. We can want to engage them in conversation because this is impacting every city and town. Uh, and it's a reality and it, it's something that truly can't be ignored. Um, they're tied to services that are important for our students and we are legally bound to make sure those things happen. But if there's a, a financial element that really throws everything off, um, that has to be considered um, by folks that, that build a budget at the state level. So, If I can just pose a question. All right. So 14%, the legislature could approve that of private school tuitions? DESI. Oh, DESI. Okay. Yeah. So then how do they come, how do they come to the figure of 14%? I mean, that, that's beyond any, I don't know, Inflation. I mean, that's a that's a huge. Person. How do they arrive at fourteen percent? Yeah, so I, I think that's where legislation comes in, and they're fighting um, as to where did that number really come from. What we have seen over, um, I'd say, the last ten years is you see anywhere from a one to like three percent increase on a yearly yes. basis. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not entirely sure where that fourteen percent okay. number, um, mm -hmm. you know, how that was arrived at. Um, but it's it's substantial and it, you know yeah. in reality I think we are seeing in some areas 14% increases um, right. not in a given year yeah. typically um, so I think what the pushback will be is to try to spread out you know give us a number and sure. let's try to spread this out over a few years so yeah. people can plan mm -hmm. um, but I, I I don't have a great answer yet but I think as I, I can follow up with Mary Gore well, uh, happy to report back to yeah. the where, where that number is coming from. And it would also be curious how the change at the governor's level yes. potentially impacts this at all. So like, for example, when would, when is a vote potentially going to, when would Desi take action, so to speak? Is there a time frame at this point in time? I don't know that answer. Okay. Let me follow up. Yeah, though. that would be um, interesting to find out. We're lucky to have a, a good resource that we can go to. I wow. should be able to get it to you by tomorrow. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so just back, uh, Circuit Breaker, um, our expected uh, reimbursement for Circuit Breaker this year, which is based on FY22 expenditures, is uh, $3.2 million, and 558000 of that $3.2 um, is attributed to reimbursement on transportation costs. Um, and then again, uh, there's some information here. I just spoke about the special education um, reserve funds, and that started in Canton back in FY18. Um, and currently, we have $1.2 million balance there, and we're expecting to use $600,000. Uh, there's an operating projection uh, sheet here that shows uh, actual expenditures from FY22, uh, where we're projected to land in FY23 and then uh, a projection for FY24, uh, which I'm projecting um, $62.2 million um, necessary of total funds. Um, that's not just operating, that includes um, all of those other uh, buckets that I talked about um, in order to, to run the district in FY24. 
another um, just layout of special education expenses. We've just talked through this, but uh, it just lays everything out for you uh, in a little bit different way so that you can see exactly private school tuition, um, collaborative school tuitions, special ed transportation, and then um, where that money comes from uh, to make up that $8.3 million uh, from operating budget, uh, special ed stabilization fund, um, the grants, and circuit breaker. That FY24 projection, does that include a potential 14, 14% or is that it does. That includes the 14 percent. It does. Potential 14 percent. Um, okay. Yes. And so you see, you know, if you look at the bottom of that sheet, you look at just the special ed reserve fund. Um, you know, depending on what that that shows a $250,000 appropriation, which brings that special ed reserve down to 460. Um, again, in having some recent conversations with the town, um, I think we'll uh, we'll probably raise that and ask for 500,000. And um, once we get closer to, to town meeting. At our last meeting, um, I did a, a um, review of grants and revolving uh, funds. Uh, so this is just the same sheet that you saw at the last meeting for revolving funds. And then the backup, um, the line-by-line -line detail that was provided is actually provided in three separate um, ways. So the backup to a couple of those charts that you see. Um, so you'll see the expenditures by department or fund. Um, you will then also see uh, the next one, I believe, is by location. And lastly, there is uh, the budget that is provided um, by the spending category. Um, and so by the DESI codes, by the DESI codes okay. yeah. So you'll be able to see, you can kind of see it in, in three different ways. I know it's a lot of paper, but when you go through and be able to see exactly, um, you know, it's interesting to compare JFK uh, to Luce, uh, for example, um, and see how they're spending and where they are. And um, everything honestly looks uh, looks good. Where I think we're in a very good place, um, you know, to get through uh, this year, and um, and we'll continue to monitor. It's hard to see when you're just looking at the first month. Um, so yeah. second quarter, the end of second quarter is really where you you know, um, hey, where we have a little bit of challenge in front of us, and we need to slow spending down through the spring. Or um, you know we might realize hey we're we're in a pretty good spot here, okay. um, so um, that is the that is my report there. So happy to take any additional questions, and then I would ask for a vote of that report, and then I can quickly go through the donations and grants after. Okay, I'll just start by saying thank you uh, once again for the, the amount of information, transparency, and uh, the overview is incredibly clear to me. Um, be interested and, and thankful uh, to hear more. I'm thankful that, that the superintendents are taking aggressive action about some of the issues that are coming up in front of us. So thank you for your work on that too. Uh, and ask the school committee, is there any discussion or additional questions about the cues on budget? Just a comment that this is phenomenal. It's all the different ways that it's broken out and how detailed. So thorough. Doesn't really leave many questions for me. It's all here. Thank you very much. Still cautiously optimistic. And really, just a comment. So this is a budget you have built sort of after your first year of understanding um, where money is being spent and allocating appropriately and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of allocating appropriately to the right line. So you'll see in um, the percent used category, oftentimes you're gonna see lines that are already okay. over 100% yep. um, spent mm -hmm. in um, just through the first month. And so those are the lines where we need to um, reallocate funds. And it's uh, a lot of times you'll see a, a $10,000 line item that has $20,000 spent in it. And then you'll see another $10,000 line item that has nothing spent in it. So those two lines just um, balance each other out. The town um, has really held us to just managing the bottom line of our budget, um, which is fantastic. It actually gives us a lot of flexibility, but at the same time, um, it makes it difficult for our administrators um, to understand what their budget is and to spend to it. So in order to hold them accountable and give them a little bit more autonomy to spend how they need to, um, we need to make sure that the budget lines are um, right. appropriate. Um, and uh, so we continue to work through that uh, as we're working already to FY24 budget. I've met with uh, three principals over the last two days to start that process. Um, and we're having a lot of those conversations. Um, supplies lines, which are very small, or you know, in the scheme of a $50 million budget, they're small lines. Um, but we're seeing these large increases, right, um, in, in, uh, in costs, and we need to really uh, be careful those. So, so that was my next question is how are you communicating out to folks basically here's your pot of money here's the, your budget for the year that sort of thing so that's what you're doing now? Yeah so um, so that was done this budget basically in this way in the location um, way was provided to okay. uh, to principals at our first cabinet meeting so the end of August beginning of September um, without the salary lines we, we pull the salary lines out they really can't there's there's no management of that in terms of how much a teacher makes or doesn't make right um, so that uh, would pull all of that out and give them some um, smaller versions of this and so they've seen that and then we'll continue to work through that into FY24 I, I agree the transparency here is really outstanding so thank you outstanding is the word Okay, any other discussion from the school committee? Other than, I just have a clarifying question from my own education. As we're talking about transferring the two lines that are negative, is there any concern, is that sustainable, I guess, over time? Do you feel like it is? It is. I, uh, so circuit breaker, we don't feel like it's ever going to go away, um, at least now. Um, there might be changes, but I, you know, circuit breaker continues to grow in terms of, of what we're seeing in reimbursement. So. Um, at least short term five year like I, I think we're good there um, the federal grants the large federal grants so all the, the four title grants and the IDA 240 and 262 the only difference between them is um, K to 12 and one's pre-k um, those are our federal law and and I, I don't see them ever going away um, in the near future so I think where it, it is uh, sustainable and has been practice for some time, um, I don't know if we've talked about it in the detail in terms of how are we transferring and um, that amount of circuit breaker that we carry forward is the piece that can can catch you um, because, like I said, we've been carrying 1.5 to 2 million. If at some point we need to use that and then we don't have that to carry forward, um, we have to be prepared for that for the next. Uh, year and that's where the special ed stabilization fund that's held on the town side is, is really important and those funds can't be touched without a vote from this committee and the select board together um, and so that that really safeguards those funds it's not as if I can just go
go and transfer money there just because. Um, so. Thank you. Yeah. All right. If no other discussion, uh, could I get a motion for the approval of the Q1 financial report as written? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. It's nine for me, 4-0. The Q1 financial report is approved. All right, thank you. So next on the agenda is item D2. That is the approval of some donations and grants. Mr. Marshall, will you talk us through these? Yeah, also so this is a vote. Uh, really just kind of housekeeping, but um, so since I think early in September, um, I asked the committee to vote our uh, m most of our grants. We've uh, mm -hmm. accepted funds on a few new grants, um, an additional ASOS grant, which is um, after school, out of school time uh, grants. Uh, we were, I, I believe, Miss Rooney submitted a grant application around a hundred, just over a hundred thousand um, dollars. So we were partially funded, eighty-five thousand um, dollars for that grant. Um, so that will provide after-school and um, summer support to students uh, because of the change uh, in what we had initially asked for. We're still working on exactly how that money will be spent. Um, a ma large majority of it we expect to be spent uh, in summer programming. Um, and then uh, we do also receive a health uh, services grant from the DPH. Um, this is a grant that provides us funding for uh, RN home interventionist, uh, some admin support equipment and PD. Uh, this is the final year of a three year grant cycle. Um, and so that is $80,000 that we receive. Uh, we do expect that this grant will come back out. Um, it, it normally changes um, a little bit in terms of um, requirements and DPH normally uh, puts an emphasis on what it is they would like to see. So I think we might see some more um, mitigating type of factors following COVID and, and, um, and that. So we'll, uh, we'll be looking to that. And then additionally, um, we asked the school committee must uh, accept all donations that are provided to the district. Um, so you see here um, a few uh, through September 30th, uh, a donation for the high school community garden. Uh, Music Counts provided a full year encore scholarship. Uh, we have a few vending machines in the district that provide um, funding and uh, the loose capped, uh, we did something a little different this year in order to kind of help assist the capped in ordering some items from the wish list, the teacher wish list. Um, so we were able to utilize um, just some of our vendors uh, that made it a little bit easier. So the capped gave us the money in order for us to make purchases on their behalf, uh, which streamlined the process for them. That was a request of theirs, um, that there's some items that teachers ask for from sp some specific vendors that right. it would have been difficult for uh, the cap to go set up a, an account and have to do all of that. So um, those are our most recent uh, donations and uh, grants. All right, well, thanks to the Loose Capped, uh, Music Counts, Tom Birmingham and Amy Colleen. Thanks to your department, Stephen. Thanks to Ms. Rooney, who's always going the extra mile and applying for these grants for us. Um, are there any other comments or questions from the school committee? This is always a wonderful thing to do, except contribution. I do, I do have a question. On the DPH grant, how will their you know, retweaking of it in terms of what they're looking for, how would that dovetail with our operational budget planning process because so it, a sense I it, mean, 
it doesn't. Um, I think in a lot of ways we want to try to plan our operating budget as if these grants do not exist. Okay. So that that would be my recommendation. Um, you know, the those large title grants and the IDA grant that are federal grants, they're more of allocations. It's, mm -hmm. it's federal funding to school districts. They're not really grants. Sure. These smaller grants, um, we always have to assume they're competitive grants. We, we have to assume that we might not get them. So. Because that's my next question is, I assume we would want to maintain these positions within the district? Yeah, I you know, I would need uh, Ms. Bouchard to okay. really weigh in on that position. I um, That position right now is vacant um, okay. because the person within that position actually took a, a, a position within the district, so they're still here. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but I, I don't want to speak on her behalf in terms of exactly, you know, she might want to um, recommend okay something different we've been in this situation before mm -hmm. where we've had additional support through grants mm -hmm. and the first part is the assessment of continued need um, you know sometimes it might be a unique scenario and if there is that recommendation I can think of one that happened in this building uh, then it has to be worked into the operational budget mm -hmm. makes sense we do we do, we do. and just quickly I, this work doesn't happen without Michelle Gobi um, in my office. She um, she manages a lot of behind the scenes. You see, you know, the hundreds of line items of this budget and money coming in and money going out, and um, she's a rock star behind the scenes. So it would. Um, Thank you, Michelle. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And with that, can I get a motion to approve the FY23 first quarter grants and donations as written? So moved. All in favor? Aye. To nine for me, four zero. The FY23 first quarter grants and donations as written are approved. Thank you. All right, we're moving on now to the next item on our agenda, which is D3, the math implementation update. We have Ms. Rooney back with us again, together with some math department coordinators to share a reveal math implementation update, including the GMS and CHS pathways. Welcome, everybody. Good evening. Hi. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just put our slide deck up. Hopefully, I can do this without the stuff in support. Yes. So, formerly known as Cummings, now Kennedy, kind of, because she hasn't officially changed her name in the district yet, um, who is at the middle school, and Don DeVoy, who is at the high school. And tonight we are going to hear some updates on how things are going um, on a variety of different things. As you will recall, uh, last year we had a math program review that started in the summer of 2021 and really kept going throughout the school year last year. Um, that resulted in a number of changes that happened um, in the district. Um, the, the biggest one, I think, being the chart that you see here on the screen with all of these arrows kind of connecting options for kids across courses and across years as they move through middle and high school. Um, and our number one goal, I think, was to, to provide more access to students to accelerated learning opportunities if and when they were ready for it. 
Um, and I think if you recall from our previous presentation, the, the pathways in the past were really limiting. If you didn't get chosen to be an accelerated math in seventh grade, you really had few options as you moved through high school. And as you can see from all of the arrows on this chart, uh, there's lots of options now. We knew that this was a very aggressive plan. We had lots of conversations before we rolled it out about whether to, to roll out just the integrated pathway one for the for the ninth graders this year and, and not do the two and three. Um, and I credit to Mr. DeVoy who said, it doesn't seem fair to not roll the whole thing out. What about the older kids? If, if they're ready, we should be ready for them. And so we went ahead and rolled out STAG 1, 2, and 3, um, which was a very aggressive move on our part. And we're going to hear some great news, I think, from Mr. DeVoy tonight about how things are going. Um, we knew that there would be bumps along the way as we rolled out all of these new uh, changes. And so you're going to hear a little bit tonight about what's going well and where the things are that we still need to tweak a little bit. Um, and the biggest piece, I think, of, on my end is just this, the rollout of the new McGraw-Hill Reveal Math curriculum, and that's a K through 12 initiative. Um, and it's playing out a little differently across the different levels, so I want to ho hopefully we'll keep that in mind. At the elementary level, because our elementary teachers teach all four subjects, we knew we needed to find a program that was going to be manageable for them. Um, because they have to still plan for literacy and science and social studies, and so they really um, rely heavily on a program to help them think about what math instruction looks like. At middle and high school, the teachers departmentalize, so they really have the luxury to be able to focus just on math and think about what kids need just in math. So their implementation of this curriculum might look and feel a little bit different, um, and especially at the high school where um, I think I had an aha moment the other day when Mr. Boyd and I were meeting. You know, if you think about, we have geometry, right? We actually have CP geometry, we have honors geometry, we have accelerated geometry, but we bought a geometry textbook. So think about the differentiation that teachers need to be able to do at the high school level as they plan for a course and use this textbook as one of the resources in that course, but really still needing to be able to differentiate how it rolls out depending on which course you're teaching and what the needs are of the students that are in the room with you every day when you're teaching that class. Um, so you're going to hear a little bit more from them tonight about how things went. As you know, we've had math webinars for elementary and middle school parents to help them get on board with how they can access resources at home if kids need help with homework and things like that. We are in the, in the process of planning something for the high school. It will be a little bit different at the high school level. It's going to, I think, focus a little bit more on um, the course pathways and how, you know, the difference between the CP and honors and how parents can think about what they think the right pathway is for their child. So that will be coming soon, um, prior to um, course registration and all that needing to happen. So you'll get that first as a little nugget before the whole program of studies presentations need to happen. Um, so with that, I'm going to pass things off to Ms. Donovan, I believe, is going first. Um, and off we'll go. I'm the pre-K through five STEM coordinator, and my job here is to tell about the implementation updates for the elementary levels. And on this journey with me of implementing Reveal K through five is approximately 90 teachers, if you count all the classroom teachers and special ed teachers, and approximately 1,400 students. So it's been quite a journey, um, and I can't wait to tell you a little bit more about that. So uh, this all starts, again, back in the summer of 21. And let me just give you a few updates to what's been happening since we decided to go with Reveal, and it might help you understand the, our pathway to get there. Um, so back in June, we had an initial training, and that was with McGraw-Hill Trainer, 
and it was for all K through five teachers. Um, then over the summer, we had curriculum work for um, K through five teachers, and we held various sessions. There was one for just K, grades one through two, and grades three through five, and we had teachers representing every grade level in every school. Um, and during this time, we were able to really break down the components of the program in a lot more detail than we were in the initial training because we already had that background. Um, and during this time, we were able to focus on the, the good priorities. What were the must-dos? What were the best parts of the program that we wanted to focus on? That way, we would have some consistency, not just in a grade level or a school, but also across the district. Um, also in the summer, there were virtual trainings that were offered from McGraw-Hill, and many of our teachers took part in those, took, uh, took advantage of those, which was great. On the first day of school, so as we're traveling along with our 1,400 students, uh, we did have a quick K through five refresher on the first day of school. It was a very busy day, but we made sure that we had touch points with teachers. Uh, they were able to sign into their digital accounts for the first time. They were auto rostered by our tech department. Um, then we started school, and on uh, September 23rd, the first early release, uh, again we had more training, and this was on the digital components and it was broken down between a McGraw-Hill trainer and myself. And the biggest highlight has been the full day PD day. That was on November 8th. Um, so this session was led by Ms. Rooney and myself, and we also had the three elementary principals and the math specialists help co-facilitate that. So it was a big group effort. And the focus on that uh, was how to have math curious classrooms and unpacking assessments and unpacking units. Um, and we did a great implementation check-in that I'll get to in just a minute. And I can't go on any further without saying the daily support of the math specialists. And I'd like to give a public thank you to Nicole Iguanti, uh, Carrie Pelzone, and Sue Brass, because without their daily touch points with teachers in each school, this wouldn't have been possible. So thank you. Back to that implementation check-in. Uh, on the PD day, we wanted to make sure that we're really getting a feel for how the, what the teachers are feeling with the new program. Um, and so we basically said what's going well and what are some of the challenges. And I'm just gonna share a synopsis of some of those tonight. So what's going well? Um, as, as I went through and found the ones that the teachers said the most, I was truly happy that many of the things that they said were going well were what we were hoping the program would provide when we went through the review process. Uh, so the first one is math discourse. Uh, embedded in the K through five program are math routines and math talks in every single lesson. And these, they basically mirror the math practices that are put forth through NCTM and in our state frameworks. And these allow things like allowing students to explore math concepts together, using language of mathematics to help explain thinking and finding multiple paths to a solution. So instead of just learning particular topics, it's how do you become a mathematician and how do you explain yourself. Another thing that they said was going very well was real life math connections. So within the program at the K through five level, um, there are these little cartoon STEM career kids. And what they do is they introduce a new character in each unit. And it's a nice buy-in for kids but it really comes down to the skill that you're using in this unit. How can you use it in real life? How can this be connected to someone's job? And they revisit with this character throughout the unit. 
and it's a really nice way to bring that um, like an intentional learning opportunity and it makes the math real for our students um, a silly example if you're wondering fifth grade Haley the, the astronomer needs to know place value so that Haley the astronomer can use decimals to accurately record data so just some things like that that might sound funny to us talk about buy-in if you're a young kid and you have an aspiration to be a certain career and you say I really do need to learn this so that I can continue with mathematics in my life um, next the number of resources there are so many resources <laughs> available within this program both digital and in print um, it's a very comprehensive program there's daily formative assessments, fluency practices, independent practice, you name it, it's available within Reveal Math. Um, so there's no need for teachers to go out and search for materials on their own. Um, we know that the materials that they will be using from this program would be high quality. Um, it's also, we found it in both. It's a challenge, <laughs> but it's also a positive. Um, one complaint is there's way too many resources available which is probably a good thing to have. Um, perhaps are there too many? Yes. So going into our challenges, we're still trying to figure that out. It's like if you're given 20 things, how do you find the best of the best? And how do you find what's good for the students that you have in front of you? Because that may change from classroom to classroom, year to year. Um, and on with some of the challenges that we're having. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned previously, any implementation is going to be bumpy going to be a little bit messy and we just have to learn how to navigate um, there's going to be new rigor expectations a new sequence of topics um, all of these things are doable and we're ready for the challenge but it's just a little bit messy in the beginning uh, there's no such thing as a perfect program so our key was just to find what's the one we think is the best but then we have to learn how to perfect it for the students that we have in front of us um, and it's hard work and one more public kudos to all the teachers who are doing this work every single day within their classrooms. It's hard work, but they know that it's worth it, and they're putting in the effort, and I can't say enough good things about the teachers here at camp. Okay. First challenge, timing. Um, I heard that many times today. Um, how do you fit everything into, the, into a math lesson? Um, I heard from teachers saying they did such a great job with their math talk I could have gone on for another 10 minutes and they know but we need to kind of keep it keep it down a little bit and just finding that that great balance between teacher instruction independent practice differentiation and assessment so we're just trying to work out some of those it's a good problem to have but it's still something that we need to work on um, what are the steps that we can do to help make this challenge better going to take more experience using the program we're going to need more time we have to keep telling ourselves it's only four months in you know it's a it's not a race it's we need to slow down a little bit um, collaboration within the grade levels uh, we've already had some experience with that this year and just reflecting what's working well stay with what's working well and then start to build in the other pieces as we go along um, the second challenge that we're finding is with language and that can mean different things to different people. Um, one way of looking at language is the new terminology. We went from using a program for many years 
and teachers and students who are used to the terminology from one publisher. And there's a little learning curve when you go to a brand new publisher where it's the same math, but words might be used in a different way. Uh, we're also finding a few of the questions and word problems might be a little word heavy. We're hearing that from a few teachers. Uh, so we're doing some work to say, how can we take out some of the extraneous language to make sure that we're really assessing the math skill and not a reading skill. And that's work that's being done currently with the math specialists and myself and classroom teachers across the district too. Um, the funny thing is, that was one of the complaints about our previous program also, when it was first implemented. So it's something that's a common thing, so I'm not so worried about it, but it's something that I keep hearing about it, so we're making sure that we're working. And again, how are we gonna, what are we gonna do to fix that? Uh, the first year is going to be the hardest. It's not going to be a lie. Uh, we're finding every time a teacher goes to their math book for a new day, it's a brand new lesson. So what we're doing is making notes, figuring out what can we change now, and what will be continue to be refined throughout the year. And um, again, that goes into the hard work, but our teachers are doing a great job, and um, we're not going to say it's easy. That's why it's in the challenge list but it is something that we're aware of and we're gonna to continue to work on. Um, so some next steps. We have another early release coming up in February and it will again have a math focus. And we have some pretty exciting news for today. Um, we have a math consultant who started this week who's working with the K-5 teachers, um, Allison Mello. She was in district on Monday and I spent my entire day with her today. And she worked with Hanson, every Hanson teacher um, today and she has two days coming up the December 19th and 20th and she'll be at the loose and the JFK um, she is just a wealth of knowledge and uh, already got great feedback I left that school at 4 o'clock already had some texts coming in saying when is she coming back I really had good connections with her um, you can't ask for better feedback from that um, and then finally on the next slide I couldn't help but show off some of our teachers doing some hard work and some of the work that was being done during the math PD days when we're unpacking some units. Here are some of our students in action using math. Um, just had to show you some examples of kids using hands-on learning. The picture of the little toy cars is just saying how this is really real life. If you're a student in a first grade class and you're being asked you know, tell me everything you can about matchbox cars and use math language, you have a buy-in immediately. And the last thing I'm going to mention tonight is about the benchmarks. So we, uh, Ms. Rooney talked earlier about the uh, screener. Reveal Math in K-5 has three benchmarks, three benchmark assessments throughout the school year and one summative assessment at the end of the year. Uh, there are common assessments across the district um, some grades have already completed theirs, but we have many others who are still in progress. Um, so we use this information from the common assessments once we have all of the data to highlight areas of strength and weakness on particular standards and use the data to continue to guide our instruction. Um, so this is just an example of the blender of <laughs> Mr. Fogel and how he took what I thought was an extremely hard looking spreadsheet and he made an example for us of what I will be able to see when we have all of the data from all of our grade levels, K through five. Um, 
and you might be asking, how would we use this and how would we guide our instruction? Reveal math is a very strong differentiation component. That's one of the reasons that we got it. Um, so we'll be using that to help us uh, guide our instruction. Uh, we have intentional support that we can be using for the areas of weakness or areas of extension within Windblock. We have math intervention. And um, another plug for my favorite online program, Freckle. It's an adaptive, <laughs> anyone listening? It is an adaptive uh, practice program. So it means students where they are. So if they need some extra support or extension, they have the ability to sign on at school or at home. Um, and that's it for me. So I just want to thank all the teachers and all the administrators for their hard work and support. And thanks for inviting me here to show off our program and our implementation. Thank you. Terrific. Thank you, Ms. Donovan. Thank you. Do you have other questions as we go or at the end? I think we have, you have questions. Should we? How, how would our presenters like this to work? Should we save our questions to the end or go? Or address them as we're going. Person by, by person. By I don't section. Mind going now if it's easier. Do you want to if, if it's specific to elementary, then? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, can I go? Yes. Okay. Please. You mentioned, uh, thank you so much for the presentation. This was wonderful. Um, and I am a very big fan of math, and I have two kids in the elementary okay. level. So all very relevant to me. But I wanted to know, as you're finding these new resources, there are students that are going to be in different levels within their own grades. Mm -hmm. How easy or difficult is it right now with these new tools to identify and help the different levels of the students within the same grade? There's um, many built-in components. Again, it was one of the reasons that we like this. Um, for example, even before someone starts a new unit, there's a readiness diagnostic that they can take, so we can already kind of tell who will need support already before they start the new unit, so we can provide it instead of in an emergency situation, we can have some of the math specialists kind of help out for some of the kids we know could possibly struggle. Um, every day, within this, there are formative assessments at every level, in every lesson, I should say. Um, so as teachers, again, are getting more comfortable using the program, Every day there's a formative assessment. If it's taken online, they get immediate feedback of how, how is the student, it almost puts them in three groups. So we can already identify what did they learn today and how are they really getting it? Do I need to reteach this tomorrow? Is there something that I can do differently to, to make all students, because that's very important to us, all students get the concept. Um, and then within each lesson, I could go on for days, so tell me when I'm telling you too much. Uh, within each lesson, there is a differentiation saying, if students are struggling, here's a list of things that you can do to help support them with the skills from today. The students who are, seem to be getting it, according to that exit slip, the formative assessment, here's activities that will just help continue to grow. And there's also a, I'm doing it the way it's laid out in the book, also on the right there's a group of extension activities students who already have the main concepts. And we don't want to just keep giving them more and more problems that we know they can already do. Yeah. So there's a group of activities for extension. So it's more of an application than skill-based. Like if they already know four times eight, how can you use that in this situation to help build, um, like to, I think, what was it, build a, a birdhouse? How can you do this in a construction project? So instead of just taking basic skills, how can you apply it to a real life scenario? And those extensions, is that, tr would it be 
true to assume like assume that it happens across all the different grades that we're we're pushing the kids that are meeting or exceeding to be able to do those extensions while we're taking care of the ones that might need some extra support yeah and it's hard to do yeah yeah i think that's one of the things that the teachers are still trying to figure out is the timing right so they depending on if you have an hour-long math block right you probably need an hour and 15 minutes to get to everything in the lesson and so teachers are being really creative about how they use their winter flex blocks to do mm. that extra piece so I think the more they become familiar with the program, the more they'll be able to do the, the differentiation that comes after the lesson as well as during the lesson. Um, but the, that's kind of a learning curve right now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Other comments or questions? Just a quick question. Thank you for joining us tonight. In terms of the revealed math assessment, how does that tie into um, it's like the star assessment math? Like how, how is this all working or how does it work together? Just one. Sure. Is it a timing thing? I can answer a little bit, and if anyone wants to jump in, <laughs> feel free. Um, tied together, but not necessarily tied together tightly, right? Um, so we have our universal screener that takes a look at, it's a nationally norm test, and it's also adaptive. So how are your students doing compared to people across, across the country, mm -hmm. and compared to how they did on the previous test? When we have um, this one, this one is a little bit more, how are they getting the content that's being taught in class? How are they getting these specific standards where this similar instruction was given to all of the students at once? They're all being given the exact same test and across district. So this is more like in-house data, I would say. Um, so not only how are the students doing, but what do we need to change within Reveal to make sure like, ooh, if we feel that perhaps this concept isn't as high as we think it should be, how can we change our instruction to make that better? Is it something that's in Reveal or is it something that we can better ourselves to get better at that standard? Thank you. Really interesting and impressive. Thank you. Hi everyone. So as Debbie shared, I am Kelsey Cummings-Kennedy, the math department coordinator at the Gallup Middle School. So one thing that I just really love about having a K through 12 curriculum is a lot of things that I was going to share are the same things that Sarah just shared with you. A lot of our things that are going well are exactly the same. A lot of the challenges are exactly the same. Um, so it's great that we can collaborate together and say like, okay, how are we doing at elementary school? How are we doing at middle school? How are we doing at high school? So I'm just going to reiterate some of the points that she had made. And the first one is about just the buffet of options. So when we had our um, curriculum specialists come in, we had a few trainings with our teachers. One in June, there were some trainings over the summer that they could do virtually. Then we had the um, trainer come back again and we all met at the high school library. And she really pushed that this is a buffet of, of options. There is no possible way that a single teacher could use every single one of these in a class in a day. So this is really showing how, okay, one day you could do practice problems on the computer, the next day you could do it in the workbook, another day you could do it in a worksheet. Maybe we could do a performance task, we can do more of a module launch. Um, we have different types of performance tasks, we have things that relate to the real world. So it's just show, so many different options so no child feels like, okay, I'm going to math and doing the same thing every single day. Um, so one thing that I do also just want to reiterate, the number of resources that are there for us. Um, no teacher, and as Sarah said, ever has to feel that they have to now search online for that extra worksheet. We have in Reveal 
a practice worksheet, then there's an extra practice worksheet, then there's an extra extra practice worksheet. So you have a boatload of problems. And also Reveal connects directly to iExcel. So if you go into iExcel, you can click on the Reveal workbook and it tells you the exact iExcels that go with that lesson. Um, so that's an infinite number of problems that you could be practicing through iExcel as well. Something that is simultaneously going well but also a challenge is the rigor. Um, I believe just teaching um, in the eighth grade and looking through the sixth and seventh grade material, this is much more rigorous than we have ever taught um, our students. So pushing our kids, we understand that this is the first year. We understand that they're coming in with gaps. So how can we push them at the same time as closing those gaps as well? And that's where we're using IXL and Reveal at the same time. Um, so this can be hard for both teachers and students, but we truly believe that with time and having this be a K through 12 program, that the students will get more used to the rigor and then eventually we will be at that higher standard um, and being able to have all of our kids reach the level that we want them to be at. And just for the next step, so every single department meeting, every single PLC that the teachers have on a weekly basis, um, every single half day, every PD day this year is related to reveal. Um, we are putting the time in to make sure we're looking at every assessment, every teacher is giving the reveal assessments. Um, a lot of times, again, buffet, there's way too many questions for the kids, so we're going in and identifying what questions do we want to ask, making sure all standards are covered. Um, and just kind of modifying what we have there. Um, and then also just working on our pacing guides. This sometimes may be a different order that we've taught it in the past. How are we gonna work with this? How is it gonna fit into the GMS schedule? Um, and then just different ways. What are different things that we can do on a daily basis? What are those performance tasks? What are the math probes? What are the Ignite activities? How, let's practice them together so then that we can implement them in our classroom. And we're also collaborating with the GMS instructional coach. She's coming to every single one of our department meetings. She is also right now going to every single sixth grade PLC to work with them as a start um, on implementing the curriculum, which has been great. So I know that I could come here and talk about Reveal, but I also wanted to bring some of our students, and I didn't bring them here with me, but I brought their voice, so I have some quotes for us. Um, so I went to 6th grade classrooms, 7th grade classrooms, and 8th grade classrooms and just asked them to share um, things that they like or don't like about this new curriculum. So first we have, I really like how we have multiple chances to try a problem online. So teachers are offering three chances um, when for any time they have homework or classwork so that students can give it another shot. Another student said I really like how you can write in the workbook. Last year I couldn't write in my book and it made things a little bit harder. So that was nice that we got the workbooks that the students can actually write in and bring home if they want or leave in the classroom or leave in their lockers. Um, another student said I like how the book explains things and provides a lot of examples. It does it better than the book that we had last year. And then one student, and this is something that we are struggling with a little bit with the website, it can take a while to load. Kids are used to things when they click on something, it's immediate and when they have that little buffer, for all, all three seconds, they're like, oh my God, I want this, come on, come on, I gotta get my homework done. So um, that's something that I think is just the program, so we're just trying to figure out um, if that's something on their end, our end, um, but we're working on that. 
from some seventh graders. Um, I like how when I do my classwork or homework online, it automatically grades my work and will show me what I got wrong or right. And also it explains in detail how to do the problem if they did get it wrong. And also another student said I like how we can practice what we learn and reveal math on IXL. From some eighth grade students, I think that Reveal is better than the program that we had last year, Savas realized, because it is easier to work with online. Also, it allows you to check your answers on the homework and try again if you get it wrong. Another eighth grade student said, I like how Reveal explains the math. It is very detailed and organized in the book. Also, if you get a question wrong online, it explains how to do the problem. Another eighth grade student said, I really like using the book because it guides you through a step-by-step -step example and then gives you another question like it to check your understanding. So I know a lot of these were positive. I don't know if they just wanted to impress me and say some nice things, but we are going to look into pushing out some more like Google Form, anonymous type things in classrooms to see what kids specifically like on a more private level and work with And then just to talk a little bit more about IXL. So during my second year as the GMS Math Department Corner, I really wanted to find ways to involve students in their learning. So at GMS, every single student has been given this IXL diagnostic tracker, where at the beginning of the year in September, after they put, took their first IXL test, they put all of their scores in for each category and just their overall math level. The teacher then discussed with them where they should be, what the numbers mean, and they all set goals for themselves. Where do they want to be at the end of this school year? And then they had to calculate how many points that would mean they would have to grow by. So five times throughout the school year, we fill this out. So we've done the September and then the November, and the kids are sitting there and looking, okay, what have I improved in? What do I need to improve more in? What do I need to spend more time? And I actually have seen kids talking about this with each other and just talking and looking and seeing, okay, next time I'm going to IXL, I want to make sure I'm looking at my fractions. I really need to improve that fractions if I want to meet that goal. Um, so I really believe that this is developing more of a metacognition for the students. They're really taking um, more responsibility of their learning where they're at, whereas last year we just kind of gave the diagnostic and didn't really talk about the scores and what they meant. So we're really trying to vocalize what they mean and having students understand what the numbers mean and where they need to be. So teachers are using IXL for warm-ups, they're using it for homework, they're using it for extra practice. We are giving the reports home. We sent them home in September. We're going to be sending them home in January and again in May. Parents are now using this at home. During parent-teacher conferences, we really push to let parents know you can download this as an app on your phone. You can download an iPad. Um, just have your kids do five questions a night. Okay? Just add this into um, a part of your routine um, and just pushing them because we all know we can't necessarily close every single gap in the classroom if we're looking at a skill that's from third grade that's not necessarily something that we're going to cover um, so we are pushing them to do more things at home um, we're using XBlock um, to review and use IXL as well um, and it's just kind of another way to go back and not look at necessarily 8th grade curriculum, which we are using IXL for 8th grade, 7th grade, 6th grade, but also elementary topics that are um, need, still need to be covered. And then comes my idea of Math Buddies, which is a peer tutoring um, program that I started 
This was our first week. It's during X block. Um, so this is a program that meets twice a week. And I really wanted to come up with a way that since math instruction is such a high priority district goal this year, how can we go in and help students with enrichment? So those that might not be challenged enough in class and need just that extra push um, to be really challenged at the same time as helping students that really need um, to close some gaps. So we paired together, we invited 120 students, um, 100 of them said yes, so we paired together 6th and 7th graders and 7th and 8th graders, um, and they are working to close some of those gaps. So we have our student scholars um, paired up with a buddy, and you can see some pictures here of this week, um, and they're using IXL to try to close some of those gaps. And on top of it, they're just making connections. They're talking about math. They now feel like they have someone that they trust. Um, we've had students, we were wondering how like the students that were being tutored would feel, and they actually went to their teachers today, some of the seventh graders, and said, well, my buddy was so nice. Like, I'm so <laughs> excited for this. Like, I'm glad that I'm doing it. Um, so we really are excited to see um, what this program can bring to the table and just one extra thing that we can do to try to help kids that need it. Um, and that's going to be three sessions. So we're in session one right now. Um, session two will go during term three, and session three will four, and we're just trying to build it and get more kids to be involved. And that's it. All right. Uh, terrific. Uh, there's just so much here. Um, I, I love, I mean, there's, there's so much that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time, and I know there's a lot to come. Um, but I do, I do want to congratulate you and, and the teachers and everyone involved on being just as ambitious as you have been. I'll say the quotes ring entirely true as a mother of two middle school students and totally in that community. What I hear in terms of um, feedback is spot on, as if, as if I was in my own home or amongst a group of peers in terms of what they're really enjoying about uh, math this year and how they're feeling about their own skill set and their competency. The Math Buddies program is really, really, um, I think, going to be something that uh, helps in a number of levels, culture, uh, including, including uh, math skill as well. So just bravo, and I'm glad you're here tonight uh, to give us a sense of uh, sort of how it's going sort of midway or close to midway through the year, knowing that there's a lot lot to come and lot in store. We appreciate you taking the time. Other comments or questions from the school committee? Just two quick uh, comments. I love the focus on the rigorous curriculum. I love hearing that. Um, I, the, the, the interplay, it sounds like, between using a workbook and using the computer, I think is great too, um, because we've heard from our parents, they like to see books, and it sounds like the kids are seeing the value in using those, I, I think that's great. And the third thing, I, I really, in terms of the Math Buddy program, I think it's, that sounds, it sounds great. I love your use of, of student scholars, referring to them as scholars. Uh, especially our middle school students, they're, they're young adults, they're really sort of that pathway to high school and whatever is after high school, so, I, I just love the term scholars. So, great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Kudos. Kudos, yeah. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Don DeVoy, Math Department Chair of the High School. Um, so, again, you're probably going to hear some of these things <laughs> times three now, so I apologize for that. But, um, so, just going with um, the schematic here, what's going well? 
So in regards to the reveal uh, curriculum, uh, like uh, Sarah said, a box curriculum isn't a one-size-fits-all, especially at the secondary level. Uh, you know, uh, Debbie mentioned the geometry, you know, the same thing with algebra, algebra 2 as CP, honors, accelerated. Um, so that's a challenge. But having said that, the teachers are doing their best to make their way throughout all the resources available to them and choosing what they believe will help the students the most. You know, this process most of the time is done on the fly as uh, the department only received all of the materials at the start of the school year. So having uh, a full year under the belt going into next year will be beneficial. They're finding that some of the pre-tests are effective formative assessments to help them know where the students are with the content prior to the instruction of a new unit. Uh, other positives is that the online platform, uh, like Kelsey mentioned, ties to IXL directly, which is great. Um, and there's also the ability to edit the tests. Um, so before any discussion, um, it's been said that one should always define their terms. So you, you may have heard students or parents um, fondly refer to the integrated pathway courses as STAG 1, 2, and 3. Well, that just refers to uh, statistics, trigonometry, algebra, and geometry. That's integrated throughout the courses. Uh, in regards to this brand new integrated honors level pathway, I can say that it has been a very positive experience thus far. Through hard work, the students are finding great success in the courses. The majority of these students, roughly 70%, were in CP courses last year and have taken the challenge to move to this honors level pathway. Some students have had growing pains at the beginning of the year, but they're improving by leaps and bounds as the days go by. With the inclusion of these courses, it has helped narrow down the width of the spectrum of potential of students in each course. This in turn has helped teachers give more precise and appropriate level of instruction to the students which has helped students find more success as shown by the data. If you look at the first slide here, you'll see that the percentage of students earning a failing grade in term one has been reduced to 4.2% from much higher percentages in the year past. You know, at, at worst, it's correlative. Um, at best, it is, it's the cause of it. On the second slide, you'll see that only six students out of 163 that have dropped out of a STAG course. This is extremely low for a course, for three courses, and a positive thing. They are succeeding in the courses, as I mentioned, and the mean averages show this. Overall, taking all three percentages together, Students are, students are averaging an 87.16% in the STAG courses. And this shows the breakdown of the courses. This year, the math department, as part of their professional practice goal, is reading the book, Building Thinking Classrooms, which was recommended to me by Sarah Shannon. I can't thank her enough. It's undoubtedly the best book on math pedagogy I've ever read in my life. Um, it's so good. The teachers are implementing specific practices that are transforming how they teach as they move throughout the book. So far they've incorporated more active whiteboard work, thinking tasks, and randomized grouping, all of which have been positive experiences for students. This year we received new AP books for statistics and microecon, 
and the books are a huge improvement in comparison to what we were using before. They align so much more to the AP courses in College Board. Lastly, uh, the program IXL has been used more and more for this year for purposes of remediation and diagnostic assessments. More and more students are even using it on their own to improve their skills. So some of the challenges. Uh, there is a challenge with the pacing of the lessons, which I think goes uh, from K to 12 in the curriculum across the courses. Um, due to the high school schedule, we dropped nearly 26 classes over a year uh, due, to the, due to the drop period. So getting through the curriculum at the recommended pacing is an impossibility. So teachers are having to adjust uh, the suggested timing to make it work for them. Um, the revealed curriculum includes vocabulary that's sometimes too challenging for some students. And in some cases, the vocabulary and concepts are actually unnecessary. So teachers have to make some changes in regards to that. They have to make changes on the assessments and assignments due to it. Um, the textbooks and materials for the STAG courses are not truly integrated, so that's disappointing. Uh, and it puts a lot of pressure on the teachers to try to do it on their own while still using the reveal materials. Um, and to be more specific in regards to that, they're not truly integrated in the way that we envisioned it. We were envisioning you know, a lesson that incorporates aspects of geometry, statistics, and algebra within the same lesson. But what we found is that the book just copied and pasted an algebra lesson for lesson one, a geometry lesson for lesson two, statistics. So it's very disjointed, but they can claim it's integrated because they have separated lessons of different content. That's what I mean by that. Um, lastly, the topics in the textbooks, partly due to what I just said, they're not organized in an ideal manner, so there is some jumping around that occurs. But I think that's pretty typical for textbooks. Next steps. Uh, we're anticipating a change in the program of studies um, as College Board has announced that starting in uh, the 2023-24 school year, AP pre-calculus will be an option for schools. I believe this will be a great opportunity for students to help their GPA and receive college credit. As a result of this new course, we'll have to revisit the curriculum and rigor of the current pre-calculus offerings. Uh, the department will also continue to make adjustments within the integrated pathway uh, as the year goes on and also incorporating a more systematic, systematic manner in which we make course recommendations for students. I know that this is uh, partly um, on Josh's plate to help us um, create a dashboard to help with the recommendation process and sort of make it more systematic. I think that's going to be across disciplines for the high school, so that's going to be great. Um, and I think that we've done a really good job helping students and parents understand the options available to them and encouraging students to take courses to help them reach the potential. Um, as you know, that flow chart with plethora of arrows um, can be an eyesore, but um, in addition to the AP pre-calculus, um, I'm going to fulfill my dream more on that, more arrows, more options. It's going to be great. <laughs> Questions? All right, thank you, Mr. Tupoy. Sure. That was awesome. Um, I, I, I just want to help uh, kind of illuminate also what I, what I think 
uh, you're saying in all of this by asking a question, and that is, what do you think the ultimate impact on students has been and will be of the change? Oh, for the integrated pathway? Yeah. Oh, um, like I mentioned before, I think reducing the spectrum of the students in the class has made, you know, as a teacher, I know that the amount of differentiation that they have to do is more limited now. So they can, you know, choose examples, choose um, activities that's more appropriate for the spectrum of potential in the class. So, um, you know, when we first started to create the pathway, it was almost seen as a, as a bridge between CP and honors, but it still is an honors course. I mean, the rigor is there, um, the <coughs> challenge is there for the kids. We were trying to take the high flyers in a CP course and the students who really weren't meeting the standards for the honors, and that kind of naturally created this new integrated pathway. Um, the vast majority of students are appreciating the, the differentiation with the algebra and the geometry and the statistics all being thrown in. I think the teachers are doing an awesome job, you know, with the challenges before them, with the way that the textbook is, you know, structured, that they're trying to integrate it themselves, and I think that they're doing a really good job. So I think the impact is, is huge, um, just based upon the day-to-day the -day experience of the student and teacher. Um, going forward, it opens up a way more pathways for the students to take, you know, um, I, I attended the webinar for uh, the College Board for the AP Pre-Calc, and they were talking about the integrated pathway students you know, some, some of them culminating with the AP pre-calc as a senior. And that's a huge deal because, as I said, 70% of those students would have been, I don't want to use the word trapped, but I guess I'm, since I threw it out there, they were sort of trapped in that CP realm. And there was no way, unless almost a miracle happened, that they were going to get to an AP class. But now we've actually helped that 70% of that population to make it a natural progression of things instead of a massive stretch. So I think the impact is huge. Fantastic, thank you. Discussion from the school committee? Yeah, it's I coming. So. Um, I will say, all my friends really enjoy STAG. They thought it would be really hard and they were nervous to take it and it wasn't as bad as they thought or you know, it was a challenge at the beginning but it's getting better. Um, so that's a really positive thing from the student perspective. Also, um, I had no clue that IXL can transfer into our lessons. That that's not really explained to the students. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe we could push that a little more because I've really struggled with math. Like I'm just not, it's just not my thing. I'm not good at it. Yeah. Um so I wonder if like tying it to the lessons, like going into my homework because we do IXL for homework every night. So I wonder if that would help people like me who struggle a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um because I also know you talked about how like the wording in the book is different mm. and you know sometimes we look at the book and it's like don't look at that like just do something else so I wonder if just like kind of tying these connections would be more helpful to students. That's great feedback and I'll share it with the department. Thank you. Thank you. Other discussion? Just a couple comments. Um, Thank you for joining us and sure. delighted to see the AP and adding an AP class. I think that's wonderful to keep an eye on sort of what college board is and keeping Canton High current with that. 
Um, I'm curious, in terms of students moving, you know, moving from CP to within STEG, is there is there an expectation, or are they encouraged to maybe do summer work as they move up? Like, how do they, how are they encouraged to prepare themselves to make that jump? Yeah, that, this is one of the ways that we used IXL at the mm -hmm. end of last year. Um, we told students, if you're going to challenge yourself, um, look at the diagnostic and IXL immediately kicks out to the students uh, recommended practices and recommended areas of weakness. Um, and students, on, I mean teachers on their end can see um, where a student is deficient or would need remediation and the teachers in those cases would be more proactive in reaching out to the students and saying, I know that you're going to go to STAG too. You know, you might want to brush up on this and that over the summer. Great. So then they can, the students can then really best position themselves yes. for that next step. And the only other comment I have is, um, in terms of the books that were purchased that are really better aligning, I do I review the warrant. We all see the warrant, but I saw those books come through, so I'm delighted to see that. You know, let us. Let, uh, we are the funding mechanism. That's what we do. So you know, please let us know if there's other things, you know, um, that I need. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I wanted to ask a clarifying question sure. because I'm not as familiar with um, the high school programming. Um, you mentioned that there was a recommendation of courses that you had to drop some of them and you could not possibly meet all of the recommendations. Is that from the textbook that you were referring to? Oh, I think uh, lessons. no. It's the, lessons. Yeah. So, Reveal breaks down each lesson or each unit with a pacing guide. So um, if you add up all of the days in their pacing guide, it actually extends to more days than we actually have classes. Right. So um, with our schedule, you know, like on day one, we have you know, A block all the way down to F block, and we don't meet one period. Mm -hmm. So every seven, every seven days in the rotation, we lose a period. Um, so if you add up the number of times per school year that you that you lose a class, it's around 26 times. So that's part, but not all of um, an issue that okay. goes into the pacing. Um, we do have a long block, and we typically like to, to use those long blocks for more hands-on activities or things like that. Um, they, don't, they don't strictly you know, make up for two days worth of lessons, because okay. in math, you, know, you want to introduce a concept and then you know maybe have have the students work on it while you help with them. Um, a long block, you know, if you add up the minutes, it might be two two periods, but you're not going to introduce two concepts. So it's it's um, it's a challenge in that regard. So I guess I, my clarifying question mm -hmm. is: is there is that is that what we are okay with, or are we missing hours on on the schedule? Are we? I don't know if that's a question that we can address, but. I can jump in. First, I would say that every math teacher I've ever known mm -hmm. absolutely wants to meet every single day. Did I answer how you <laughs> might answer? Absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's there's some dynamics that uh, one this is this is very typical. Uh, okay. It's very typical for high school schedules to do a drop. It allows for a wide array of courses to be taken. It allows for you know some longer periods to happen um, because if you were to have all of the courses down the amount of time instructional time would be reduced on a daily basis um, I always appreciated the advocacy of trying to see students each and every day um, and for math you're constantly building on foundational mm -hmm. information and practice time and 
doing that. How am I doing so far? This is what I'm great. Doing well, okay. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a credit to the teachers, and I, I think every discipline, especially at the secondary level, has to make decisions around priority areas and power standards, and how to how to make sure you're allowing for some introduction and practice to happen, and then uh, in the work that happens outside of that. Uh, there is just appropriate support in design and construction, so it's it's sort of a nature of a of a schedule. Okay. Um, because on the other end, if you shorten that, the portfolio of classes uh, and interest areas wouldn't be there as much. So I think they do a great job. It, but to Mr. Devoid's point, it takes a lot for teachers to design appropriately and set the pro appropriate priorities. Just knowing that, you know. Uh, uh, publisher is going to lay out, you know, an amount of time that's not constricted by a schedule. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. One other, and this is really not for tonight, um, when we saw the presentation earlier about the um, IXL diagnostics, <coughs> you know, at our high school level, we are seeing some, some gaps, you know, 11 to 12 came up earlier, but 9th and 10th, so maybe and we could get another update. We talked, we were questioning about like, the number of students who are really we're talking about here. And um, I know our, our MCAS uh, ninth grade was, has some challenges. So maybe, again, another evening to find out, sort of to get into those numbers a little bit more and get some more clarification or explanation of sort of what's going on and um, what can be done moving forward. Sure. We'll actually be re-benchmarking students in January okay. when we come back from the break, so that will be, a, I think, a logical time. Mr. Fogel and I have already talked about maybe another teaching and learning update at that point to give you an update on all of the benchmark assessments okay. and how our data is looking at that mid-year check-in. Sure. Um, so we'll have more information certainly coming. Great. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. Thank you all very much for being with us. So thank I you. also wanted to thank them. Um, <laughs> as you know, rolling out a new program and all the changes that we made this year is not uh, an easy feat. And these three people are the people that often are the sounding board of the, but this thing didn't work and why don't we, know, we need to know this. And so thank you for all that you are doing, the three of you, to help our teachers navigate all the changes that have come in play this year. Um, you know, they call me a lot. I call them a lot. How's it going? Where do we need to go next? What's the, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And, uh, and it, it is a testament to the hard work that they're doing in each of their departments every day to make sure that our kids are getting what they need. Um, so as you know, uh, what our, our next steps kind of pre-K-12 is uh, we've been talking a lot about math support and tutoring and, and some uh, possible math tutors being hired. And so uh, Mr. Folan is working with the principals to try to finalize plans for how we could possibly have some um, additional math supports come in play so that we would start the new year maybe with some more people around to help out with that. I think it's a, a more of an easy fix at the elementary level because we already have a process in place for tutoring to happen in the building. So adding an extra person to help with math would be a wonderful addition because it gives the math specialist the flexibility to do more teacher support, um, knowing that there's another person that can be helping with the student-facing piece of the puzzle. Um, and at middle and high, I think we're working out the details of what that would look like, so we should be able to give you an update on that very soon. Hoping to get some positions posted before the break. I think a lot of times you'll have students that just graduated from college and, and right at the end of the semester that might be looking for a position um, for the new year and, and things like that. So we should have an update for you on that very soon. Um, and as we said, the professional learning will continue throughout the year. Um, 
we are using consultants if we need to. You know, when you think about almost 100 elementary teachers needing to learn this new program, we knew we needed to bring some support in to help with that. So I think that's going to go really well, and that will be ongoing across the next few months. Um, and really planning for the early release days in the department meetings to make sure the teachers are getting the support that they need. Um, and then just really continuing to learn the program and make adjustments where it's needed. Uh, some of our teachers are really rule followers and they need to hear time and again, it's okay for you to, to tweak it. If you don't like the lesson, you know, don't, you don't have to do every single worksheet, you don't have to do every single component, and really giving them the flexibility to get to know the different pieces and figure out what, what pieces really work and, and where does this program fall short and, and we need to not waste our time with that but do this other thing. Um, but as, as Ms. Cummings said, it, there's just a buffet of options in this program. So hopefully the teachers are spending less time searching for things online to try to supplement because it's all right there. Um, they have digital access when, when they're at home and then when they're at school and it, so you don't have to lug the whole book home and everything. Um, so, so far, so good, um, and we will certainly have some more updates for you as we go through the course of the year. Okay, thank you all very, very much. We're, we're so proud of everything that uh, you've been able to help accomplish so far and what's to come. Okay, moving on to the next item on our agenda. That is D4, our district goal update. Superintendent Follin, do you have that for us? I do. So I included a couple of memos, one around district goal update and then one for the uh, superintendent professional improvement goal. Uh, as you know, we went through a, a, uh, a great uh, process um, involving some of our strategic planners in developing the district goals. Mm -hmm. uh, so many of them, uh, many of the action steps are, are coming to a head at this point. Um, and I'm really just pleased to share the progress that we're making according to these action steps. Uh, you see a couple of paragraphs here um, in relation to uh, district priority number two, which I'll read for everyone. Uh, the district has and will implement systematic, consistent, and proactive approaches to address student behavioral needs, promote respectful and responsible relationships, and enhance a culture of student accountability. Uh, and one action step established was to establish a standing SEL committee to identify a systematic SEL approach and consistent curriculum. So going back to my entry uh, report of uh, entry plan findings, um, that was one of the things that really rose to the top. I mean, COVID really brought out the need for social emotional learning, um, to have it embedded in instructional moves, but also to have a curriculum, uh, even for navigating the, the, the social aspects of school. Um, in, in one's growth and development. And what I kept hearing across different levels is there's little bits and pieces of all different types of curriculum. Um, and some that were absent, some that were starting the day using this, and there might be another a piece here. So it was really clear, uh, and in really even talking to other superintendents, it, it's important to one, set that as a priority, because uh, it really does set the stage for social and emotional growth. That sets the stage for um, strong learning. Uh, and there's all different folks there's all different elements to it of uh, higher needs for particular students um, and then other elements that are, are skill sets that allow you to learn at an incredibly high level. Uh, so I just want to thank Interim Director of Student Services, Megan Byrne, uh, for putting together these two paragraphs and really spearheading this work, along with Adam Hughes, who's our Director of Wellness, um, and uh, Dr. Chamberlain, who's our Director of Counseling. So they really set the objectives and timeline for this work here. Uh, and they brought together some educators uh, that provided a, a nice spectrum 
of professional roles. Uh, and I just want to read through, uh, just for the benefit of folks that are, that are listening here, uh, because I think it really captures the work and the extent that's what, what's being done. Um, there's still more work to be done with regard to this, but great progress. The committee met on October 4th on the 17th to review 10 SEL programs. Uh, leader in me, Wayfinder, Calm Classroom, Second Step, Social Thinking, Responsive Classroom, and Character Strong, Fly 5, Challenge Success, and Harmony SEL. The committee has evaluated these programs with regard to evidence-based practices, anticipated student outcomes, um, implementation, professional development needs, and scope and sequence of learning objectives. The committee has recommended that we proceed with more, uh, with a more thorough review of Character Strong, Second Step, and Wayfinder as potential pre-K to 12 curriculum proposals. Additionally, the committee identified that social thinking and calm classroom are supplemental programs that benefit varied student populations within our district and will continue to consider these resources as part of a larger proposal. So one thing that I just want to speak to is uh, we've been very intentional in the district around when we make curricular decisions that we have a strong process and take time to review um, and, and get feedback from a number of stakeholders uh, and much, much like the program review, you see when you go through a process and take time to hear all the voices and, and make sound decisions, um, you know, I, I have the luxury of having many of, of these, these reviews presented to me. It really uh, fortifies for me the importance of having that process and a thoughtful review. And last year we had that math review and between the pathways and the, the curriculum and Ms. Rooney just allow, sitting in, in buildings and saying, come and talk to me, take a look at these different options that we have, you can see what implementation looks like. And it's not perfect, it's, it's not easy. I give a ton of credit to the educators because to, they take pride in what they design for their students every day and to navigate all different resources, navigate language uh, that needs to be the right fit for the kids to incorporate the rigor and thinking about all those things, it's quite a bit. So to take that on is a very much appreciated. But you can see the impact and the outcome because it's, it generates certain momentum that happens and that process is great. Uh, Ms. Byrne held individual demonstrations which each of the top three selected, the SEL curriculums, to obtain a greater and greater insight into the learning objectives and lesson design. On November 16th, the SEL committee met to review the proposal, sample lessons and research on student outcomes. Information was also presented to the district cabinet. Cabinet is central office, directors, and then also principals. Committee members and district leadership reviewed the presentation materials and provided feedback to recommend the top choices by November 23rd. Following review of all the feedback for Ms. Byrne, Mr. Hughes, and Dr. Chamberlain, they're meeting uh, today, December 1, to outline the next steps for reference checks in other districts and to develop an outline and schedule to review uh, the top two programs with additional stakeholders. So um, one thing that I, I keep asking as we keep and go through the reviews, you get the professional lens of it and you get the professional recommendations and sometimes talk to other districts. But then, you know, we have students, we have educators and we have families keep trying to get many different eyes and voices on it. So you get a 360 view on making a decision. So really pleased with the work, very thankful for the work that has been spearheaded uh, and for that update and report that's happening. Uh, and then the second part with regard to the uh, student behavior and, and support mechanisms was uh, having a continual standing review of the handbook 
uh, and that's happening in different ways. At the elementary level, Assistant Superintendent Sarah Shannon meets with our principals, um, one for alignment, for idea sharing, <clears throat> but also systematic reviews of things like handbooks. And I'd say the first uh, term, first quarter of the year has focused on that 37H and three quarter update. Uh, and what does that look like? Thankfully, it was in alignment. Uh, I think you heard at the last meeting, it was in alignment with our approach of progressive accountability, um, trying to find alternative methods to hold students accountable and help them grow and learn, stay in school. Um, and it was a good match of an update of a law and our, our practice. Uh, but what's important is you talk about it because language in a handbook doesn't always help you in the moment. And is it living consistently in your building? So there's those conversations were happening. At the secondary level, same thing happening. How are the practices that are in place, are they being effective? Is, is the language a, a great match with what's happening? Uh, so they're going to be revving up, as I said. They did a lot of work together at the secondary level. Um, I know our two principals are meeting tomorrow to plan their restorative um, practices presentation for parents. That was part of their school improvement plan. But it also gives them an opportunity to how does that approach in the, the new laws, new expectations, and our own philosophy in the district to effectively work with kids uh, to build community to build investment and growth, um, to adjust behaviors so that there's meeting expectations and they're, they're really strong community members. How does that live out in some of the um, practices and expectations in the handbook? Um, having gone to the equity workshop uh, that we've been attending, myself and Ms. Shannon, they asked you to look at your practices and policies to are they reaching each and every student? Are they um, developing growth? Are they developing opportunities? And are they putting students on a path uh, to improvement? So I was very happy in today's session to hear that being talked about and be it listening to Mr. Sperling talk about program of studies and how recommendations are being made, looking at data that tells us who's taking what classes and what, what flow are we seeing? Are, are we seeing students progress from CP to honors, or are we seeing them carry CP all the way through? Is there a progressive trajectory that's happening? All these elements happen within the handbook, um, and you look at your policies and practices uh, to do that. So that's, a, that's an important piece. The other element is just a, a functionality there of, um, I think we said this, we often do our handbooks over the summer, we need, we need our end of the year and summer to be more focused on goal setting, right? And we need the handbook. That's something that can run through the school councils through the year on a more continuous basis and actually should be ready at the start of the summertime. Uh, so that's the hope there. And I was very happy with Mr. Mulhern coming from another district. He said, I was a little surprised you were doing the, the handbook over the summer. He goes, we were pretty much uh, set with ours around May and June having gone through the, the school councils, which give you that stakeholder feedback. So a little update there. I think they're doing really good work um, in adjusting to some, some changes. I will say just on a, on a level of impact, uh, we have some survey data and, you know, for around the formative time, mid-year time, we're going to see, we've seen tremendous improvement in student behavior. Tremendous improvement, both 
student data, but also survey data from staff, and we're really proud of it. And a lot of the moves that are happening, um, one, kids are getting adjusted to being students again in person. Um, but I give great credit to the staff and the administrators to being responsive and supportive of one another and the new systems we're putting into place and engagement with families are leading to much, much better outcomes with that. So that's a quick preview of how we're doing on uh, number two. So I'll pause there uh, because those were the two updates for district goals. Terrific, thank you. I have a, uh, I mean, first of all, I'll just say, I think uh, you know, this is all very, it, it sounds like we're on the right track and the work is impressive. I wanted to talk just for a second about the, the handbook work that um, Assistant Superintendent Shannon, are you, you're leading? Are you leading or is it just the, just the 37 and H and a half? Supporting it. Supporting that. Yeah. When we meet, we try and touch on different aspects of the handbook um, each time so that we're not doing it all at once. At the end of the school year. No, I, I think it's fantastic yeah. and the timing is perfect. Um, and so, is it um, Assistant Superintendent Shannon's role uh, to sort of be looking across the handbooks in a way for consistency? I'm thinking particularly in the elementaries, but in some other places, is, is someone, because it, it's wonderful to have the parents um, and the school councils engaged at a local level, really looking at it throughout the year and making sure it works in their environment and then at that kind of macro level is that is that yeah. is that the role that we're are we also feeling that that role right. there's a level of facilitation oversight. that has yes. to happen there and and one big shift that we did do this year at the elementary if you remember um, is the uh, we went to one elementary handbook yes so we used to have three so we have I forget what we what we called it, but it was the, the profile of the school. So everything's yep. school specific, uh, from the most technical elements of drop off to some of the events that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing that's helping us, rather than looking at three handbooks continuously and trying to have alignment, you just have one handbook that is consistent all the way through. So that alone just has helped, um, and it allows the principals to have discussions and. Mm -hmm. One of Ms. Shannon's great strengths is the facilitation of it and to spearhead it uh, to make sure it happens. And then on a really uh, engagement level um, and truly how, how it should be, that's the role of, of a school council, to constantly yes. have some input on it because that's a, a built-in stakeholder group. Uh, so it's important for the principals to talk about it with their uh, fellow admin, with educators, and keep looking at data that's happening but then bringing it back in pieces to the school council so that's really a finished product by the end of the school year. That's, that's terrific. And so, so the aggregation of that feedback um, to be able to make a final decision on the ultimate result that is in the handbook, that's, that's what Ms. Shannon is doing as well. Yes. Are the principals kind of working it's together It's the principals, it? yeah. It's, well, the it's, principals. it's terrific. I mean, I think it's, it's a... It's a a, a bit more cumbersome in a way because you've got lots of conversation happening but at the end of the day to have that one updated yeah. document that's consistent across the schools and that's representing all the parent um, teacher educator faculty voice is fabulous yeah. so that yeah. that's terrific a good um, shift. yeah so yeah I was just wondering about that piece of it knowing that 
it's at once kind of disaggregated and then it's coming back together into this final. So that, that's great and thank you for your work on that and to everybody who's involved. Other discussion from the school committee? I just have one quick comment. Yeah. I think even just from our um, student forums from spring to fall, the student behavior has improved so much from a student's perspective. That's terrific. And you know, I, I can't wait to see whether or not there ends up being more clarity inside the handbook and if that's the right best practice and way to go or not in terms of the steps and the path that one might take. But um, I'm glad to hear the outcomes are really positive so yeah. far. Okay, all right. Great. Then we'll move on to the next item on the agenda, which of course is uh, the superintendent's uh, goal, goals, which is item, sorry, I put my agenda five. away. Thank D you very five. much, five. D5. Well, thank, thank you. you. I lost it. Here it is, D5. Superintendent for Professional Improvement Goals update. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is really around student achievement, and um, I don't want to duplicate the great presentations we saw tonight, but mm -hmm. it, it really does um, highlight, I think, a lot of the work around our drive to improve in, in math um, and the learning around math uh, that's happening. So as you know, we, we put out a goal uh, to, um, one, implement a new curriculum uh, and, and really see some uh, bump in our learning, our growth in math, um, and then uh, by direct of that, an improvement in our MCAS scores. We know, based on our previous presentations, that all districts, all students, we uh, had a dip in, in scores in their school districts, students, families, everyone's striving to regain that, the levels that were in existence at 2019 um, and you know it, it one thing I want to be clear is MCAS is our uh, standard assessment within the state um, but we really do focus on learning um, and having a connection to it and you you heard some student quotes about being able to retry material and learn it and that from an educator perspective Sometimes we focus too much on just the final MCAS score and where they land. And it is so important when to talk about all of this that yes, that's our, that's that standard that we shoot for and go for. That process that we move up for when uh, they take assessments, be it a benchmark assessment or a uh, assessment such as, such as MCAS, it's a state standardized test. Those are moments in time and they are reflective of the level of learning and teaching and learning that happens all through in each and every day. So when a student says they appreciate multiple opportunities to try again or see how a, um, have, a have a program explain how a, a math problem is solved or to dive into something that allows them to apply math in an authentic, relevant way, um, that means something. Uh, you build up in this culture of learning um, and the ultimate aspect of that, the product is they have a trajectory in which they believe in themselves that they can reach to a higher level and MCAS score wise, it usually comes out. 
I began my career in MCAS, and I would just say, if you focus on learning and focus on thinking and doing the best every single day in your classroom and trying to improve, the score, the ultimate MCAS score, will take care of itself. And I always used to joke with them, when I hire folks, I never ask your MCAS score. I want to see where you are as a learner, as a, as a, as a person, and um, as a dynamic thinker. Um, so that's just my little uh, platform there, I think, on, on MCAS and learning. And it's really to kind of keep all of this in perspective. But it, data is a driving factor, and performance is a factor as well. And we do want to see uh, the students who are meeting exceeding expectations across the district rise by 5%. Uh, and I, I really, really have uh, great faith um, that we're setting both our, our classrooms and our educators and our teachers up really well with the work that's happening. When you implement a new curriculum, you have to challenge yourself to really examine the standards that we're hitting and the data that comes through it. Mr. Fogel has met with uh, many, if not all, of our educators and our specialists on a routine basis, and they really are knowing their students well uh, in a much more deeper way. So timeline-wise, plan and mid-year uh, elements with regard to MCAS scores. You can see I kind of laid some things out, worked with Mr. Fogel to develop this. At today's workshop, uh, there was a, a phrase around um, the work around uh, implementation of strategic goals around for equity. Uh, and there was the concept of cycles of improvement. And cycles of improvement really rang true for that moment in today's learning. But then when I was thinking about talking about tonight's uh, math and the implementation that we're having here, you're seeing the cycles of improvement that are happening. So we have an implementation of curriculum, but alongside of that is also a, a really uh, high level of collaboration between our educators and data analysis that's happening. Um, and really knowing our students well and implementing our, our resources to, to best fit them. I've been in this district for a while and it's never happened like this before. And it's really heartwarming because there is really teaching, learning, and leading happening. And uh, that's happening at every single role and every single level. And I'm very appreciative of it. If you look in August, you can see that MCAS results were reviewed and disaggregated in many different levels from grade 11 analysis to reporting categories to standards to a comparison of how we did standards over time. That's what we get uh, with a supremely talented Mr. Fogel, but also a dedication to that particular position. And when we talked about the position, we didn't want someone just crunching numbers. We wanted them to be an instructional leader. It is happening beyond expectations. We saw that in August. Um, he's still wowing our educators when he, when he does those particular visits, um, but it's really meaningful. August to September, you heard about the professional development, the focus area, uh, rosters, uh, you know, just again, where we can target. We <coughs> talked about the premium that is time, uh, so you have to know where students need uh, help and need work or where they can grow. Data meetings with specialist educators, admin, and department heads. October, November, we have the universal screener data, we have intervention needs there. You heard about the advent of benchmark assessments mm -hmm. and a little bit of the difference a different one is more of a pulse check and one one is a check on understanding of concepts that continued professional development I really want to give a plug I know she was mentioned Allison Mello 
Um, I've known her for a while. She used to be the assistant superintendent in Foxborough and is truly, um, has a, such a strong background in math instruction and math implementation. It was one of the, I always followed Foxborough with their, their work with regard to math and she was at the center of that. Um, she has worked with our folks in different venues and workshops before. Um, to have a trusted voice and to have someone who's not just doing a one-day uh, PD session, but actually can work with, work with folks and then uh, move into their classrooms uh, and provide some feedback and, and tips um, over a progression of time is really, really great. Uh, in the grade level professional work, unpacking the math curriculum uh, needs the professional learning that's happening, uh, and then kudos to the educators for their collaboration and, and work on this. Uh, I always appreciate their candid responses and their problem solving and where they're thinking. That's what makes them dynamic educators. Uh, this is not easy to implement. If anyone has done um, any type of implementation, research always tells you that there's an implementation dip um, for different reasons because it requires so much dynamic and adjustments and thinking um, and then you kind of build that momentum to ride up. And so we, we welcome the, their voices and we welcome their input. Uh, we know that there are challenges and we appreciate the collaboration to, to rise up out of any uh, of those challenges to make sure that what we're doing is, is best for our students and then we continually get better. You know, one aspect that I'll mention there that Mr. DeVoy was talking about, Ms. Moran asked the question, the prep, the prep work as you go into a STAG course. One thing in talking with Mr. Sperling, his math night will be focused uh, leading into program studies because they want to talk about what that experience looks like and how you can best prepare yourself for that move. We want to encourage you, but it also can't be uh, cavalier in making that move. You have to know that there has to be some, some prep work being done going into it. And he felt like that was an area of improvement. And so in prepping for program of studies and making that choice, they're going to focus on how to best position yourself. One, encourage that movement, but also how do you best position yourself as well. Uh, so I appreciate that sort of adapting that's happening. Um, and then as, as Ms. Rooney mentioned, the December, January timeline, the development and implementation of focused tutoring opportunities. So we have our math specialists at the elementary level. Uh, we certainly are exploring those positions as we look at budget moving forward. But we, we do have the ability to access extra money uh, to some, have some focused tutoring opportunities, uh, both at the elementary level at the secondary level. The secondary level, we are now positioned so well to do it. Right? We have either studies or um, X block when it's not to give a student another course. Right? I used to work with students. If, if you struggle in a particular area, um, my background was, was English. It was not to double them up with another class. Uh, that was the first approach. They actually, what they actually can articulate is a need for, tell me in a very like, specific, like, what do I need to work on? And don't make it overwhelming. You want them to still have all their specials and go to their electives and enjoy and be a whole student. But how do you use the data to know what specific areas that, uh, that they can get some help on? So we're excited about bringing that forward. Um, if I could then move to uh, some of the, the action steps related to the, the goal of, of that bumping up around 5%. One is 
of this is a little bit repetitive, but just the continued work and collaboration um, between Josh Fogel as our data analyst and working with principals department chairs and math specialists around performance data. Um, you get it from the summer, you then get a little bit more from STAR, you get a little bit more from benchmark assessments, you get a little bit more from term grades. Um, and all of that allows them to, to understand. I know the specialists at the elementary level are very appreciative because they can spend their time working and designing help for students rather than the, the process of crunching the data. It is right at their fingertips all the time. So we have a model that is really, really successful. Um, and Mr. Fogel put in that graphic there to help. Uh, the second one here, the quarterly checks around the K through 12 math curriculum. You just saw that presentation. Um, and yes, when we come back and, and do another quarterly check, it'll be more comparative data. Like, where are we seeing? Are we seeing growth? Are we seeing some areas that are still problem areas? And how, you know, how are some of the interventions working uh, that are happening there? Uh, from this, this number C, support principles in using the data to drive collaborative discussions, differential instruction support, and target designated standards for growth. Again, it's more pushing the data into the uh, particular buildings, not keeping it as just a document, but really, uh, again, always appreciate the principals taking ownership of this, Ms. Rooney, uh, it might be uh, Sarah Donovan, who they meet in person and they go over this, uh, and, and that collaboration is making a difference. It's not just numbers, it is student performance data, trends that we're seeing, standards identified, and then matching it up with design of instruction. And that's the really important part. Um, for D here, I just said, I, I, know, I must have liked it so much when I wrote this, I did it twice. Um, but it's pretty much the same thing. B and D are the same, um, which are the quarterly checks around implementation. Uh, and then monitoring screening data, informative data quarterly to assess progress and growth. Um, again, a little bit of the same. You saw the teaching and learning report tonight. That's a, a, re, a key element. Um, Mr. Fogel uh, added the second paragraph here just as a, as a way to talk about the trajectory of just simply understanding foundations of math to be able to talk and explain and justify it and having that be an important level of growth and maturity that happens there. Uh, and talking about that with students and how that can show through in one's performance data uh, and challenging uh, educators to bring that forth out of students. And then engaging families and students with webinars and in-person sessions uh, to review the, the implementation of the math curriculum. Uh, we had a wonderful response from our math night for the elementary level on November 2nd. The really nice aspect is a number of them uh, signed up because we know in our world today, if you register, you get like the recording. So, you know, we had very, very good attendance, but we had a higher number of folks sign up uh, as well. We did uh, pass out the, the recording through the S'mores. It's really important uh, that it's accessible to folks. Um, they were able to preload some questions, and we can get to the heart of that during the presentation. Uh, the, L the GMS did the, a similar night on November 15th, and then you heard me talk about CHS designing there specifically around in preparation for program of studies. Uh, I would always say this, that uh, we just had parent conferences and, and all the implementation of IXL was being put into that. We get the feedback from Ms. Cummings that says, hey, why don't you talk about that a little bit more in class? It sounds like it might be helpful. 
if there's any feedback, any question, whether it's, I've been there on the tough nights for when my kids were younger and you're trying to figure out math and it might be presented or developed in a different way. It's okay, everyone's been there. One, you're gonna get through it. The second part is always reach out for help. Um, because parents, it, it's tough. They can feel a little vulnerable. We learned math a certain way and things have evolved and have changed a little bit. So I welcome anyone in the community that if you need a little bit of help or, or you see a child struggling, productive struggle is okay. Breakdown struggle is something that's tough as a parent to watch. Um, if you're seeing patterns and that there's an element there, always reach out to the building. Don't think that you're on your own little island with learning math or instruction. It's best to have a partnership. Reach out to the principal, maybe a department head, to the particular teacher is probably the starting point to go. Uh, but keep up that communication. Um, we hope the math nights have been informational, but we also know when it, when it lands within an assignment, a type of learning, um, it's best to, to make sure that we don't try to do it alone. So that's the message around all of this. Uh, so that is my report, thank you. Excellent, wonderful update, appreciate it. I don't have any questions. Ms. Moran? Good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, then we'll move on to the next item on our agenda. Appreciate it. Thank You're you welcome. Very much. Thank you. Very clear. And it's exciting. It's, it's nice really, to it's actually, exciting. it's really nice to present. It was, I don't know, just in the whole night and listening and then going through some of the progress. Um, well, it'll just, it's good. Yeah, it's reinforcing. It's yeah. mutually reinforcing. It's fabulous. Really exciting. Okay, so the next item is public comment, which we have none this evening. So we'll move on to F, that is our Director of Finance and Operations report with Mr. Marshall, who has an update on transportation, I believe. He does. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I think similar to last meeting and, and an update um, from a special education van transportation update, um, we continue to see progress in communication. Um, I think we have all, uh, of our students routed. Um, again, there's always room for improvement, um, but uh, we, we've seen, um, I think, continued improvement from that end. Uh, we continue to vet um, additional companies. Um, you never know when a need might arise, um, and um, you know we always have students that are coming and going, and so um, making sure that we continue to have some capacity available um, in uh, the time of need is, is important so we we continue to do that um, I you know from a large scale um, first student you know I think we've continued to see improvements um, we had uh, a tough morning this morning uh, four drivers um, that called out this morning um, so that uh, that would be a, a huge issue I think for any company it's about 16% of um, of you know our that workforce. Um, so uh, that led to um, two tiers on a morning route that were not uh, run in a timely manner. Uh, communication was not um, effective from that point. Um, one of those reasons was that the um, basically when that happens, anybody that has a, a, the ability to drive a bus is out on a bus. Um, and so there was nobody that was left back at the office. And so um, that led to some lack of communication back to the district. Um, so um, I, you know, by 
8.15, we were having regular communication. We were back on track. Um, by the time that elementary run happened, we were we were okay. We were in a good space. But um, So we'll continue to troubleshoot and um, have conversations as to how can we improve those communications, mm -hmm. whether it's a quick text, um, you know, something. Uh, it doesn't matter what time of the morning it is. Like, who are we, um, you know, who is who is being notified and when um, so that we can make sure we eliminate some of that in the future. So I, I think that those to me are typical growing pains with a new company. Had we have not had such a bad start, some of these hiccups wouldn't be as enlightened, right? Um, not to say that we can't do better um, or to sugarcoat them there. There's still um, you know, some troubling aspects of them that we need to work on and, and we'll continue to do that. Um, you know, Another part on the district side that we've talked about, right, are, our um, transportation coordinator starts work at eight o'clock in the morning, um, and you know we need to look at that, right? What uh, what is the scheduling? Do we need somebody in the office earlier? Who is who is there in order to communicate out to families um, so that a, a student is not out on the street waiting for twenty minutes for a bus to come? Right. That is what we you know at the end of the day, it's about making sure our students are safe and that we're communicating effectively for that for that point. So um, we'll continue to work there, but I think from a large scale, um, we, you know, uh, things have, have been much improved. Um, I, I encourage anybody, if, you're, if you still are having problems, please reach out. Um, we can only fix what we know about, and I know that it was, it was very uh, troubling through the first month, two months of school, and some people gave up. Uh, that we know that right some some people really gave up we're seeing increases in ridership we're seeing more kids on the bus today than we saw you know ever um, and so that means people are coming back around it's starting to get cold um, right uh, people are utilizing um, the transportation so if you know don't don't give up anymore please reach out let us know what the problems are so that we can we can fix them we want to work with you um, and that's my update on transportation thank you and as far as you know uh, has the app been working well I mean it has on my end I'm one user yeah so the app works well like in a case like this morning um, where somebody was just rushing to jump into a spare bus um, sometimes there's not a conversion right um, for a specific years. route and so that was one of the problems this morning that all we see is no GPS I don't know when I see no GPS, I, I can't see anything. And so I didn't know that that bus was sitting in the yard. I just assumed it was a bus that was running with a broken GPS. In reality, that bus was not running at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to work through that. But for the most part, we've heard very good things about the app. Um, a couple complaints of some lagging delays, um, like a notification is, is still coming to somebody um, you know, they're asking for a not notification when the bus is a mile out from their house and the notification is happening like much closer, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're working with that and the developers to, to see that. Um, some of the comments have been, it really depends on your Wi-Fi strength or, um, or your own network that you're connected to that could cause some of those delays. In other um, areas, we're seeing that it is um, the actual app. And then in some cases, it's the GPS device. In some of the buses, um, there was a conversion from um, 3G to 4G, and so when we've seen that, there's been a lag. So I know that first students working to um, upgrade all of those GPS devices to the to the most current network. 
and I'll also just add our new school bus, uh, which we were hoping was gonna be here in December, um, is likely not going to be here until February, but we are very much looking forward to um, having a new bus in our fleet as um, we've had multiple breakdowns with our two buses um, you know, throughout the, the beginning of the year as well, and, and that um, uh, just causes its own, own challenges, both for um, our routes, but also for uh, our charter trips and field trips that might be happening during the day or athletic trips that are happening in the afternoon where we do rely on both of those buses to be running. That makes sense. Other discussion from the school committee? I have a question and I think I should know this and I apologize I don't. We talked about having a consultant come in and help you. Yeah. What is the <coughs> Yeah, so um, right now a lot of uh, data gathering, um, a lot of documents have been provided to the consultant. Um, so he has started his work kind of behind the scenes. Okay. Um, he was a little delayed in his prior project where he thought he was going to be here mid-November um, in the area. Um, he looks like it's going to be here um, next week. Um, okay. to start an introductory meeting with us. But we've already provided a lot of uh, contract documents, all of the routes and all of that information for him. Um, so I know that he's starting um, to do that review work. Um, he still expects that um, uh, early March he would kind of be completed with, um, with his uh, assessment and recommendations. Okay, thank you. Yes. Any other comments or questions? Okay, we'll move on to the next item, thank you. <coughs> I did, that is item G, the consent agenda. Within the consent agenda, we have the regular session minutes dated November 17th, 2022, the executive session minutes dated November 16th, 2022, and the warrant dated December 2nd, 2022. Is there any item in the consent agenda the committee wishes to pull out? Right. I have a question. <laughs> uh, the warrant is December 2nd, but we're December 1st. Is that okay? I think that's... Yeah, it gets signed as up to Friday. I think it, well, you can, you can explain better than I. <laughs> you have to vote the warrant before the bills are paid. So we okay, actually okay, submit okay. it to the town on Tuesday. Checks cut Sorry. tomorrow. Good All questions. Just wanted to make sure. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, if there are no other comments or questions, uh, do I hear a motion to approve the consent agenda as written? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye for me. 3-0. Consent agenda is approved. <coughs> Moving on to item H, the update of our subcommittee task force and or liaison posts. I'm going to start down this end. Um, Ms. Cummings, do you have any updates for us? I actually don't have anything tonight that I can think <laughs> of. I know. I usually do. Well, that's tonight. okay. We're just glad that you're here and uh, always appreciative of you. Thank you. All right. Uh, Mr. Marshall? I do not have any updates because sustainability meets Monday. Um, BRC, I gave an update on the last meeting. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we're going to meet for December, so I think I'm good. Uh, budget finance um, is going to be meeting the 16th. The 16th uh, so that's actually the Friday after Friday. our next school committee mm -hmm. meeting yep. um, to discuss our first pass of operating FY24 operating budget. Um, so. Would would you would you um, our superintendent Fallen, mm -hmm. do you think um, so the GMS, GMS MSBA building committee mm -hmm. is here on this list. Yeah. Who should we defer to for for any updates on that? I was gonna okay, just speak to that. For okay, a so when we yeah. get there. Great. Yeah. Ms. Moran? We have the budget and finance okay. update, so awesome. Yes. Yes. Next week we have uh, the MSBA 
uh, school building committee we have met once um, that really was establishing you know the timeline uh, for some of the the work in the feasibility phase uh, we sent out our agenda uh, and essentially what that gets down to again is re-emphasizing the timeline that we have to follow for the feasibility um, it also uh, goes over the request for proposal uh, that uh, mr. McCarthy Mr. Marshall has been have been drafting, um, and we send that to MSBA for approval and review. Um, but it's something that the committee has to review as well. Uh, and then we're we're setting a vote and authorizing the the members that will be part of the selection committee for the owner's project manager, the OPM, which is a, a key establishment uh, of that particular work. And that really, once the OPM is identified, then we're really up and running. Uh, really well for that work. The other part that we're going to talk about is really the community support and community understanding that's going to have to happen uh, for this. This is, MSBA is really strong about that this is not a done deal, uh, that it's, it's really important that the community has full input around some of the aspects of it. Is it a grade five to eight building? Is it a six to eight building? Where might it uh, be built? What's the understanding? What's the um, cost of building the particular uh, elements and then uh, setting setting the community up for some momentum and knowing the benefit of this and the great progress that can happen when a new building is built uh, but there is a debt exclusion aspect of it uh, that always comes along with this uh, that that involves really good community knowledge community momentum and community buy-in um, so that's going to be, even though we're projecting out to 2024, that's going to be here before we know it. Uh, so we want to really, really engage our community members in a meaningful way. Those that have school-aged children and those that don't. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's part of that discussion on that upcoming meeting as well. Um, the second one that I just want to mention real quickly, uh, which was a wonderful overture and something new uh, and had the luxury, was it yesterday? I can't even remember now. Uh, but Charlie Duty as the new town administrator invited me to his department head meeting. Uh, so it was great. They have it once a month. He runs a really tight meeting. It was one hour. Um, and it, it allowed to uh, really kind of develop that network of, of questions. Having budget come up and having being around the table was big. Uh, and then he asked me to sort of give a little pitch and understanding around the MSBA project. So again, that networking and full understanding uh, across different departments and I just thought it, I shot him a note afterwards I thought it was really nice to be included I'm happy to go you know each and every time he holds one of those meetings to represent the schools so that's my thank you for one. doing that that's yep. terrific yep. thanks to him wonderful I don't have any updates myself I don't have any updates either all right for tonight well then keep on moving there's item I other business that's uh, topics not reasonably anticipated 48 hours in advance of the meeting <coughs> Here. Are there any? Okay, nope. move on. To Jay, future business. The next open session meeting is scheduled for Thursday, December 15th, 2022 at 6 p.m. And with that, we get a motion to adjourn. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Three, zero. Good night, everybody. Thank you. The meeting's adjourned.